Hello and welcome to episode 87 of the Film Yak Podcast. I'm John. I'm Kevin. And I'm JR. <laughs> Today we're here to talk Kevin's pick, Clive Barker's final film. Mm, so uh, far. Well, yeah, up until now. Well, he hasn't made a movie in 25 years, but mm. night, uh, not Nightbreed. <laughs> I almost <laughs> said Nightbreed. Lord of Illusions. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> What is wrong with us today? Lord of Illusions from 1995, uh, starring uh, Scott Bakula. Just a lovely <laughs> performance. <laughs> and uh, some other people. And we're also going to talk other things we watched and some trailers. And uh, it's great to be here. How are you guys doing? A little under the weather, but... But not, co- not COVID, though. Not COVID. Because you got the antibodies. No, I you got the uh, test. Mm. Wait, you got it? Oh, man. So much COVID. I know. I, uh, yeah. I killed what looked like a black widow in my house. Oh. And that scared me. I don't know if it's actually a black widow. I'm bad at animals, but... Well, they're insects, but that's okay. Also. You can tell by the red hourglass. <laughs> yeah, they have an hourglass. Well, they're not insects. They're rabbits. <laughs> Spiders aren't considered insects? I'm bad at taxonomy. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> i have to look that up. Anyway, uh... Okay, you well, guys are English teachers, so well, this is not an English thing. It's a biology or whatever. Oh. I I almost <laughs> fail biology, so hey, me too. <laughs> All right, I passed it though, almost failed. Mm. All right, well, let's uh, jump right into these trailers. So, uh, you know, Jr. was telling me that he really, really enjoyed some of these. Which one was that? The Tesla trailer, right? You want to start with that one? Yeah. Unless you want to talk about yes, American Tesla. Pickle. I don't. I don't know. I'm good. I don't know how I feel about that. Hey, Seth Rogen's another one. Just, just stop, man. You know, just stop. Well, sorry. Anyways, Tesla. Tesla is um, directed by somebody who directed this thing. It's like, uh, uh, what's his uh, face? Yeah, right, right, right. Mm. Um, And uh, stars uh, Ethan Hawke as Nikola Tesla and Kyle MacLachlan as Edison. You gotta love that shit. Yeah. I'm into that. How many movies is this now? Like, there was... What was that one? It had, like, Nicholas Holt and Benedict Cumberbatch. That was the... Um, As like, and Michael Shannon. That was the... Yeah, uh, yeah. The Westinghouse thing. That didn't have Tesla in it. Yeah. Or Tesla wasn't a big part of it, I don't think. This is yeah. all about Tesla, bud. Yeah, something wars. Anyway. Yeah. But, the, yeah. The current war. That's it, yeah, it yeah, got, yeah. It got, like, delayed for a year or something. And then right. Released and nobody cared. Yeah. JR, what did you love about this, this looks, trailer? Uh, I, I liked uh, how artificial it looks. Uh, there's a lot of like weird, non-traditional stuff going on. It does not look like it'll just be a standard you know, year in the life or 20 years in the life of Nikola Tesla. It's kind of biopic. There was a, you know, it's, it's like a character is like Googling Nikola Tesla at one point. Uh, that's, uh, that's anachronistic. And, uh, you know, there were like the, the Mac painting backgrounds. Uh, that they're clearly standing right in front of because you can see like the shadow of a character on that uh, on that matte painting. It's it's very just uh, fascinating looking stuff. So I just want to check it out. Cool. Yeah, I'm an int- intrigued as well. Um, so yeah, I'll anything with Ethan Hawke. Really, not anything because he does a lot of like random shit that you just see pop up on iTunes for ninety nine cents. But mm. you know, every now and then he's got a real gem in there. Yeah. Uh, I also posted the uh, the Halloween Kills teaser. Did you guys check this one out? This is the sequel to Halloween. No thanks. I yeah, I'm just uh, 
Huge David Gordon Green fan, you know. Oh, I... <laughs> that's not a, it's not a joke. I know it, it would be. He, if I he's going to come back one day. <laughs> Maybe with this one. I mean, I I didn't like the the uh, his remake of Halloween or his whatever his sequel to Halloween, but this trailer I found very affecting. Actually, I mean, like uh, just the whole. I mean, it's very very short. It's just them riding in the back of a truck, and they see. Uh, it's like right after the events of the first one, they see the the fire trucks going towards the house that's burning and they're all freaking out because they don't want them to put out the fire, you know, because if they put out the fire, Michael Myers comes back. Right. So I thought it was very effective and chilling, which is, which is unusual for a uh, Halloween film. mm. You know, it is a teaser and it is a very good teaser. Yes, yes, yes. Um, moving right along to, uh, Cronenberg's kid has a new film out called possessor. Or it's coming out. Mm. Uh, Brandon Cronenberg. And uh, I'll tell you, wasn't terribly interested in his first film, Antiviral, I think is what it was called. Mm. But uh, is that not right? He's shaking his head at me. Me? Yeah. Oh, no, no. I think that is right. Sorry, okay. that was an accident. That's I, all oh, good. I was trying to decide if that... If it was Caleb Landry Jones in that, or my worst enemy, but it's Caleb Landry Jones. Who's your worst enemy? Uh, Donald Gleason. Oh, oh, Donald, Donald Gleason. Don, uh, no, I don't respect him enough to say <laughs> it's his like, name correctly. Eh, eh. Domin Hall. Uh, yeah, Gleason. Caleb Landry Jones is definitely a, a better choice for any role than Donald Gleason. But um, Possessor looks uh, pretty pretty out there and. Uh, you know, I, I just wish David Cronenberg was making great films like this. Just weird body horror, bizarre, you mm. know, shit yeah. like that. Like he used to make, you know. Yeah. But then I feel like if he was, you know, it's just like any director. They start and they're doing something great in the 70s and 80s. And then they progress in the time and the technology. And they start using like CG and shit. And it looks horrible. And yeah. they lose whatever was amazing about their original films. mm but uh, this one, this one looks like it could be a winner. Is, uh, is old Davy retired? Is he done officially? Is he? I don't. I didn't hear that. Uh-huh. No, I'm, I'm asking. He just has. I don't think he's made a movie since Map to the Stars, and that was oh. six years ago. Hmm. He's he pro- is old. He's probably one of those kind of guys who's like, you know, like probably can't get funding or. Um, if he can finds like you know his shit gets watered down and you know creative differences. He says uh, in an interview in 2016, Viggo Mortensen revealed that Cronenberg was considering retiring due to difficulty financing his film projects. Mm. All right, and Viggo looks good, like good he's, job, Viggo has uh, <laughs> picked up the mantle. He's got a film premiering at the uh, oh. Some film festival. It's got Lance Hendrickson in it and him. Oh. Lance Hendrickson plays his crotchety father. <laughs> it looked all right. I've read, I've read an early review of it. It looked sounded pretty good. Cool, cool, cool. But, um, yeah, and I saw Cronenberg. Cronenberg is in Nightbreed. Yeah. And I watched Nightbreed, and uh, he's old in that movie. Like, he has gray hair in that movie. So that's 1990, so. <laughs> yeah. He's pretty old. Yeah. And finally, uh, Miranda July... Has her first film in nine years coming out. It's called Gajillionaire. It has the girl from Westworld in it. I can't remember her name. 
uh evan rachel wood yes evan rachel wood. and uh jenkins yeah from Step Brothers, <laughs> just a little jab at Jenkins there. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, you know the role that I really, whenever I think of Richard Jenkins, the thing that I think about is Killing Them Softly. I really like him in that. Yeah. Where he's like the mob lawyer or whatever he is to the mob. Yeah. Anyways, um, what do you guys think of the Kajillionaire trailer? I was kind of confused about um, Evan Rachel Wood's voice in the trailer. It's like. Is she like doing like a Holly Hunter, but it's without, really low, the, huh? without yeah, Ooh. like without the Southern twang to it? That's what it reminded me. I'm of. sure. I feel like something like that will either be part of the plot narrative, or it will just be unexplained. It'll be like a character thing that they think is fun, right? And you know, at first I was wondering about that voice, and then I remembered, uh, you know, whose trailer I was watching, and I was like, oh, okay. And J- JR, you're not a big fan of Miranda July, eh? You, you know, not yet. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, you almost, your rating of uh, of uh, me and you and everyone we know almost stopped me from getting the, the Blu-ray on the Criterion sale, but I, I decided to bite the bullet. I was like, <laughs> I, I know this movie, I remember loving this movie. Mm. Just because JR didn't like it doesn't mean, you know, I shouldn't right, own right, it. Right. So... Well, I would uh, would love to talk about it whenever you rewatch it in thirty years. Um, <laughs> this but guy. there's uh, I, you know, there's just like so much like going on for the sake of having stuff going on. I think, and uh, yeah, I, I don't know. The, the her last one was called The Future Rate. And yeah, it had some similar problems, but I remember the future being better than me and you. I liked so, the future we'll better as well. I haven't seen either of them since they came out, but. Um. Yeah, I'm gonna try to rewatch both of those, and then hopefully catch Cajillionaire in the near future. And Cajillionaire played at festivals earlier this year to, or maybe yeah, I think it was Sundance mm. to uh to acclaim. So that's good. Yeah, hopefully it's good. But it's, everyone likes me, and everyone we know also. I feel like everyone just forgets that there's a bunch of just like weird ass pedophile shit, and me and you and everyone we know, but. Whatever. We'll, we'll get to that. Well, interestingly, too, this is her first feature that she doesn't star in, right? So Yeah, it is. That's something. Maybe that's why people are loving it. Although I, th- I find her to be very intriguing on screen, especially in the future. I really liked uh, Hamish yeah. Linklater in the future. He's great. There's a, um, there's a short of hers on Criterion Channel right now that, yeah. while I'm not going to say it's good, it is... Very fascinating, and it is fascinating mostly because it is Miranda July on screen, and she's she's strange. She's got uh yeah all those there's like multiple short films on the Criterion disc, um for me and you and everyone everyone you know and uh or we know and uh I follow her on Instagram and she does a lot of kind of I wouldn't call it performance art it's like just like interesting interactive stuff with her followers. Like she did a scavenger hunt one one day. Like she just went downstairs into her basement and got all this different crap that she was like, I don't need this stuff anymore. And she's talked about it and how she got it. And then she went and hid it all over the city in L.A. And like different Instagram followers would find it and tag themselves in it and stuff. It's kind of fun. Cool. She's an interesting person. People who live in L.A. suck. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, let's uh, move on to uh, what we watched. Who wants to get it started this week? 
That means I will get it started. Uh, and I'll start it off with another uh, great female director who I've decided actually must be the greatest female American director working. Mm. Kelly Reichardt's new Whoa. film, First Cow. Oh. <laughs> I was going to say, see, I don't know who you're talking about, but this is a big statement. And now <laughs> it's not. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, well, I, actually, after I watched First Cow, I realized um, Jordan actually texted me about it. Mm. And he was asking me about her work and everything because I guess he's only seen uh, Old Joy. And I was telling him, you know, you got to yeah, watch. She didn't make a lot in the 90s. Right. Yeah. She made the one film in the 90s and then took a break well she she has some kind of like 55 minute long film called ode that's like unavailable Mm. but uh i haven't been able to find it anywhere hence it's unavailability but i told uh (laughs) i told i told uh him jordan a few video a few of her films that i i I suggested and then um i thought about it and i said i told him i said she's like top five american directors i think i can't and i and then i actually stopped and made like thought about it and made the list Ooh. And she's she's on the list. Like I can't uh, think of anybody who I would, and it's maybe a couple of them, her and maybe another that I've chosen for that. This is just my personal, you know, um, maybe controversial. It was like it's like Scorsese, uh, Lynch, Kelly Reichardt, Abel Ferreira, Paul Thomas Anderson, which Kevin hates. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, that would be it. That was that's five, right? Yeah. And then I and then I and then I thought of the Cohen brothers, mm. and I was like, oh man, well the Cohens feel like they ought to be on that list too, though they're very good. Yeah, and I would have thought you would have put uh, Spike Lee on there. No, see, have, Spike Lee. The, I, well, it was it was it came down. I don't want to get off on a tangent on this, but it came off on. It came down to like a. I thought about Spike Lee, but it came down to like a thing where. I was judging them based on like the purity of their filmography. So like mm. the amount of five out of fives for me that Kelly Reichardt has made is just like nearly unparalleled. Mm. And the okay. same with like, you know, like Lynch right, and Scorsese, right. obviously like they, these people don't make a lot of bad films and Spike mm. Lee has made bad films. Right. Right. You know what I mean? So it's like, he's yes. okay. ineligible. <laughs> he's okay. made, he's just got <laughs> just by virtue of how much he's done. He's prolific, you know, mm. but first Cal uh, is fantastic. Um, I very much enjoyed it. Uh, I love the performances. The main uh, two actors are phenomenal in it, and I want to just get their names. Uh, John Magaro and Orion Lee are awesome as the two, like the the, the kind of um, friendship at the core of the film. And it's about this uh, these two who kind of develop this friendship, and they decide to start a business where they're going to sell. Uh, oily cakes which are essentially just beignets essentially mm. they're like fried dough and they put honey on them and they sell them to the traders the trappers who live there it's like in the 1850s or something mm. and uh they're the 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 kind of conflict at the heart of it is that they're stealing the milk to make these oily cakes and it's just a great but you know i mean conflict in a way that you would see in a kelly reichardt movie not central to what's going on at all like that's not what the movie is about <laughs> you right, know? right a lot of some people have been saying it's like a heist film and it is not like a heist film at all in any way except for the fact that they are stealing milk um but yeah it's really terrific and uh, it's got an amazing kind of uh prologue at the beginning and uh, i just i don't know i really really loved it i almost watched it again actually <laughs> 
before we recorded, but just didn't have the time. But yeah, I highly recommend it. Check out First Cow. It'll definitely be on my top yeah. ten list because there's nothing else coming out this year. <laughs> it's probably number definitely one. Every- <laughs> I mean, five out of, how many five out of fives can you give in one year, you know? I know. Well, especially this year. No, this year is brutal. Yeah. I, know. I, I regret not getting to this before recording mm. because now now Kevin's going to watch it next week and I'm going to watch it the week after that. So. <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but Kevin's never going to watch this. I've been meaning to watch... Uh, some of her movies oh yeah you should yeah <laughs> i told i told uh i told jordan to watch meek's cutoff obviously because it's yeah. you know sort of similar time period right and uh and i told him actually i mean even though he'd seen old joy i recommended old joy again because it's it's very similar thematically but with male friendship and things like that so very very were very you out cool. on a were you out on night moves i loved night moves i gave it a five out of five but I it's, nice. that was when I watched it the first time, so I don't know if it would go. I feel like it might go down half a star, maybe even a full star. But I have to rewatch. I've been meaning to rewatch it, rewatch it, but because uh, it has some like thrillerish elements that they kind of have in there toward the end of it, and uh, I'm not sure how I'd feel about those now, having a more yeah. grounded sense of her. Because when I watched it, I I didn't. I remember the first time I saw Wendy and Lucy, I didn't like it. And then after I saw Night Moves, I rewatched everything, and I loved Wendy and Lucy, and I loved Meek's Cutoff, and, you know, it's really strange nice. how that works. I find, you know, since I guess we'll call, like, this this fruitful period, uh, like, from, what, I just fucking forgot the name, uh, Old Joy on, um, I think Night Moves is probably my least favorite I had like I had some Sarsgard issues like with his character, mm. but uh, I definitely want to check it out again. Yeah, I need to rewatch it too. I, yeah, I really just liked. I don't know. I remember lo- like loving the idea of it, like the the idea of these eco terrorists and what they're doing and their commitment to it. And Eisen- Eisenberg was really like kind of I don't yeah. know weird and creepy. <laughs> so they. Uh... You know, only slightly related. A buddy of mine texted me last night that he and his wife were watching certain women, mm. and they loved that. That made me want to watch that again. Cause I I love certain women. Good. I'd say certain women would be the the weakest for me, but yeah. I liked it a lot. But it's just like the one the the you know it's 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 like a triptych of uh, like sh- almost like short films, mm. and the one in mm-hmm. the center I think with uh, Michelle Williams. I guess I found like it lagged a little bit. Maybe it didn't kind of quite reach the the greatness of the other two. Hmm. All right. Kevin, we await your deep dive review of her filmography. <laughs> oh, the filmography. Yeah. Oh, After okay. you finish Scorsese, right, 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 right on right, to right, Kelly right. Reichardt. Right, 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 right. <laughs> JR? You know what? I'm going to go, I'm going to go back to uh, Spike Lee just so I can uh, be done <laughs> with uh, Spike Lee for a while. Um, uh, I want be really done but uh, i watched a couple of a couple more of his flops um i watched summer of sam which came out in 1999 and uh was, you know basically spike investigates the uh like fear and paranoia that engulfed new york over this uh, summer in 1977 when there's this uh 
rash of, uh, of murders. I'm not really familiar with that story and stuff, but, uh, you know, it kind of shows us this summer through the eyes of two, uh, Italian American men. We got John Leguizamo, uh, who's not Italian, who's a chronically, uh, promiscuous disco loving, just drugged at and alcohol drinking idiot. <laughs> and, uh, then Adrian Brody, his friend who comes back from out of town. I don't really know where, who's, uh, who's into this new thing called punk. And he's, uh, got a fake British accent that he's trying out and he has distinctly 1980s hardcore punk hair, which, you know, do, do your research, Spike. Not the right time. He's got uh, a mohawk, right? Something like a mohawk? No, it's, uh, it's like the full on, like, oh, it's like spikes, right? Hair. Oh yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, but anyway, and he's, you know, they're like ones like the, this old, like a, you know, Italian American way of life that's, you know, refusing to change. And Brody's the symbol of, uh, you know, a break from the destructive, destructive traditions of family. And, uh, that's it. <laughs> the, the murders happen. And, uh, you know, some side characters like develop this sort of like way of trying to figure out who the murderer is, but it's really just Legozamo and, Brody and their respective significant others kind of going through life and uh it's beautifully shot and it's really long and it's uh you know Leguizamo and Brody just aren't very good which is the real problem mm. and then uh Mira Sorvino and Jennifer Esposito as the significant others don't have roles big enough to be good or interesting but um yeah I understand why this flopped I also you know felt like uh Spike Lee was doing something new but uh Three out of five, because it's so pretty. Hmm. And Spike Lee is in, is, is in this. Yeah, I, I watched it a long time ago. He's in this as a reporter, right? Yeah. Uh, and the first time the reporter came, I was like, oh, there's Spike, thinking I would never see him again. But towards <laughs> the like, end of the film, he's in it a lot. Yeah. Which is really strange. And also just another time where Spike Lee gives himself the role of uh, – uh, the annoying person. And I, like, I, don't, I don't think I don't find Spike to be annoying, but I think he likes casting himself in annoying roles. Mm. Yeah, I could see that. Kev. So I re- rewatched uh, Gunga Dean because having seen Cary Grant and Notorious, I wanted to watch this again because, like, I remembered um, William Goldman said that this was his favorite movie. I can't say I see why, knowing what I know about William Goldman's work, but I know he he likes what do you call it? dumb courage, like when <laughs> like when like when you know that a character is just doomed, but they're going going for it full tilt anyway. Like he just really digs that. Um, he would have loved uh, the intro to Lost in Space, mm. the film with Matt LeBlanc. Oh yeah, <laughs> I remember uh, just when you said Sorry, "dumb courage." Well, it's mm. it's literally the first thing I thought of because <laughs> yeah. Matt LeBlanc flies his spacecraft at some alien or something and saves somebody, but he's being reckless and his uh, superiors are yelling at him and they say, "Your actions were foolhardy," <laughs> and he says, "I do it again." You know, he's he's, he's, he's total badass in that one. Yeah, you know, that's uh, I remember the movie seeing that made that me that fall movie. in love with Matt LeBlanc. Oh, is it? Mm. Yeah, it's the only. It's the first time I ever saw him, and mm. when I saw him on Friends years later, I was like, "This guy 
is a comedian. Like he's not he's not supposed right, to be funny. He's right. a badass. <laughs> no, because I'm pretty sure pretty sure Lost in Space came out like it came out right like three years before Joey was starting. No, no, no. Right? It came out like three years into the run of Friends, but I didn't see mm, Friends gosh. until way after it ended. Right, right. Friends started in 94. Lost in Space came out in 97. Mm. I just remember thinking that Malibuac was so good in Joey and so good in Lost in Space. So He's, he's great in Joey, huh? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway, we've been, actually, that just a little, just a little tidbit. Been rewatching Sopranos with my buddy Rustin. He's never seen it. Oh, and uh, speaking of Joey, Drea De Matteo is in Sopranos. You know, mm-hmm. she played Joey's sister on the uh, show, mm-hmm. and uh, she's just a, a gorgeous lady. <laughs> <laughs> we can't help. Every time we see her on screen, we comment about how good looking she is. She's just incredibly good looking. Nice. Go ahead. Wait. No, sorry. <laughs> yeah, what were we talking about? Gunga Gunga Dean. Gunga Dean. Yeah, Gunga, Gunga Dean. Uh, sorry. Cary sorry, Grant, Douglas Douglas Fairbanks <laughs> Jr. <laughs> Yeah, so it's about these uh, three British soldiers in India. One of them is about to leave to get married, and so they, so the other two um, decide like, oh well, you know, it's time for one last one last adventure, and they end up uh, they end up fighting the uh, thuggy cult, and uh, things go really wrong really quickly. Um, it was fine. Um, like like you know you've got you've got your three charming british soldiers and uh it wasn't quite as racist as i thought it might be for you know for the time period um let's see, what else what else i really like the effect like it like it opens up with somebody hitting a gong and like the credits are playing over the gong and like i thought the effect of that was pretty cool but otherwise you know i had seen this like years before because I had read that this was one of the movies that Ryan Johnson was cons- was having the cast of Last Jedi look at like this one and like 12 o'clock high three outlaw samurai and um letter never sent and a couple others a lot of similarities between the last Jedi and letter never sent absolutely <coughs> absolutely Anyway, yeah, Ryan, and, Ryan uh, Johnson's a, a joke. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah, cool. I uh, I watched uh, Greyhound, the new Apple Plus film from the director of Get Low, which I never saw because I'm not a hipster. <laughs> and uh, this stars Tom Hanks, and it's a script written by Tom Hanks. Uh, it's about a uh, battleship in World War II trying to make it across the Atlantic. Mm. And I will say that its length is admirable. The fact that it's, minutes. yeah, it's very, very short. Oh. Which is, you know, impressive considering, I mean, if this had come out in theaters, I can't, I literally can't imagine this coming out in theaters because literally movies do not come out that are this short ever. Right, right. <laughs> um, And Tom Hanks is. Uh, passable passable yeah he's okay. not good in it but he's he's doing his job um well, there's no there's no character that there is that is there's true. no his, way for him to be good his character is defined by the fact that he prays before he eats and 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 <laughs> has a really nice pair of slippers that he likes oh right and he's always asking for like his jacket and shit he's always getting people to get shit for him and he's wants to marry elizabeth shoe who's in the movie for four seconds Hmm. 
didn't, was, know, didn't know she and was I'm still doing sure stuff. And I'm pretty sure that scene, I'm pretty sure that scene is in the very beginning, just so the movie gets to 80 minutes before the credits roll. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's that that would make sense. You know, did did you get the impression too that like during that scene, friends? Okay, so during that scene, Tom Hanks revealed they're in like a department store in the 40s. You know. And Tom Hanks reveals to his uh, girlfriend, Elizabeth Shue, that he's gotten this command of this battleship. It's his first command, okay? And that uh, now that he's got the command, he w- he's got to go down to Barbados or somewhere to train, and he wants her to come with him because he wants to propose to her. Mm. Doesn't this feel like it's a it's a character written for a much younger man? Like, all that feels like a very young man's, like, his first command. Yeah. His, he wants to marry this girl. <laughs> like it, it just all feels like he's, the, he's like, 65. It just feels weird. I don't know. Well, I mean, and, you know, Tom Hanks, I think, is supposed to be younger than 65, but he is supposed to be, like, uh, I would guess he's supposed to be, like, 40, between 40 and 45. Well, he was, but like, 40. That also. His character was 45 in Saving Private Ryan. I mean, that may, I, I don't know. I don't yeah. know how old a normal boat captain would be. It just feels like it's, like. It just feels like everything yeah. he's doing is like the first time he's doing it, and I'm just like, where, right. where have you? What have you been doing your whole fucking life, guy? Well, and right. that's, that's another reason why I think that that scene was just so like, just like, such like a slapdash addition. Yeah, like it just it's meant to give him some humanity because the rest of the movie is so just procedural. It is so intensely committed to this one thing, like on the boat, we are guarding these ships, we don't sleep, blah blah blah, like all that stuff. Uh, it's just like meant to give him humanity, and like that feels like a producer said, "Hey, we we need to, to see this as a person, also." Uh, and it just didn't work. Yeah, I. Uh, but, I'm sorry. Yeah. But no, I. I, I got nothing else. <laughs> uh, does uh, does have a, a couple of co-stars that you'll recognize? Uh, the uh, Stephen Graham is in this from mm. uh, The Irishman and Boardwalk Empire and. The Guy Ritchie, early Guy Ritchie films. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the radar operators is, I forget his name, but he's in uh, he's in Neon Demon. He's like the love interest of Elle Fanning's character. And he's also in a Gaspar Noe film called Lo- Love. You get to see his dick a lot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, you do. Never saw that one. It's good, actually. It's my favorite Noe film, actually. It's pretty solid. It's on wow. Netflix. Um. um Rob Morgan's in it too. I don't know that guy. He was in. Um, he's been a few things. He was in Mudbound and oh. Last Black Man in San Francisco. He was Cleveland, the uh, the guy who tries to. He basically the the cook. Who oh, the tries cook. To oh, yeah, get, yeah. Uh, he tries to, to eat constantly. Eat. Yeah, hmm. he's constantly bringing him trays of food that Tom Hanks is yeah. quietly praying over while we cut to other members of the staff looking at him judgingly because I, I don't know why. <laughs> Yeah. I will say that, um, yeah, I, I wanted to watch this for a couple reasons. It, you know, this was like one of the most high profile projects to be filmed in Baton Rouge in a long time. Right, right. Uh, filmed all at Celtic Studio, which is why the ocean and the ships look like crap. And it was, and, and uh, on the kid, right? They filmed parts of it right, on the kid. Yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, most of like the, the close up on the ship stuff is on the kid, but. You know, whenever we're seeing water in other boats, 
it's on uh, Celtic. Do you think? But, okay. Um, do you think? Are you saying that that all looked bad, like all the other boat stuff? Because I I don't necessarily agree with that. I felt like so. I felt like the CG looked pretty solid, except for when he was like there was a green screen shot and he was in front of it. it looked horrible. But everything else I thought so looked I, pretty real. I felt like the. I felt like the reason that we are constantly seeing boats or only seeing these boats from a distance is because they couldn't make it look good enough <laughs> close up. Maybe. Um, I don't have proof of that or anything. But uh, and I, another thing, I listened, I listened to Dan Carlin's Hardcore History podcast and the Hardcore History Addendum podcast, and uh, Dan Carlin had Tom Hanks on for a really good interview uh, about his war interests and why he has them and making of this movie and that was more interesting than the movie also the same length as the movie nice i might check that out so i did highly recommend that i did like the um the corkscrew thing that the submarines had where they like released they released like this thing in the water starts spinning and it's like it's i guess it confuses the radar makes them think that there's another propeller in the water it's kind of (laughs) cool I thought that was an interesting idea. Never seen that before. So, what do you feel? How do you feel about the uh, the little bit of magical realism at the end with the light from the portholes shining on him after he prays? Uh, you know, <laughs> uh, I thought it was a bit much, and it's just like one more thing to get this past eighty minutes. Yeah, you know, I again, like I, I don't know. There's. I, I res- again, I respect how like lean yes. and to the point this movie is, but I really think if like Hanks wanted some of like these character beats to hit, he needed to actually write a character and also write supporting characters for him to play off of. Because you know you hired Stephen Graham, but he's not doing anything. Yeah, he's not doing anything Grammy at all. <laughs> I liked. I did like a couple of the scenes when he went to Stephen Graham and just literally like asked him to like what he would do and then he just kind of essentially he's essentially making the decisions on the ship because Tom Hanks didn't know what to do like oh. his character didn't know what to do I liked some <laughs> yeah. of that stuff that was alright but mm. yeah I agree there was no there's very little in the way of character but uh, anyways that's uh, you know it was free I'm getting the AT&T uh, or not AT&T uh, Apple TV Plus for free because of my because uh, I bought an Apple TV Nice. so it's a year free Hopefully Scorsese will get his ass in motion and uh, make that movie and get it get it premiered on there before my year's up. <laughs> how was uh, How was Hamilton? I didn't watch Hamilton. That's on Disney Plus. Oh, that's right. Sorry. <laughs> I do have Disney Plus too for free through Verizon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I will not watch Hamilton. I don't think. Oh, I mean it's well, not. It's, dumb. it's not that I. I would. I. I honestly, I'd be more inclined to watch it if it were a movie. And I mean, it's just like a filmed stage production. I don't. How interesting is that going to be? Yeah. I, so, I mean, I watched it because I have been sabotaged with <laughs> tickets to see Hamilton like twice. Wow. Yeah, I was supposed to fly back to Baton Rouge or fly back to New Orleans to see it. And then a blizzard combined with the downing of the Southwest Plains kept me from going. And uh, I had a ticket to see it uh, next month. And mm. you know how that you know how that went. <laughs> yeah. So it's been it's been rescheduled to late 2021 jeez uh, no sorry uh late 2022 jesus christ excuse me so hopefully by 2022 you know either 
we've got you know we just might all be dead we probably will be dead Mm. well jr your go bud okay i uh i've also been watching a bunch of new movies Mm. uh on my subscription services so i checked out uh the old guard in which uh, it's on netflix in which uh charlie's Theron leads a you know a group of mercenaries who also happen to be immortal, and uh, oh. that's not revealed immediately in the movie, but it is definitely in the trailer. So, oh. so sorry, oh. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's you know I, I wrote down like this whole plot that happens, mm-hmm. but um, at the end of it, it's just like a blah blah superhero nonsense doesn't matter uh, type of plot. Like it's all stupid. Uh, but that said, it's it's quickly paced and it has uh, very cleanly shot and edited action sequences that are really fun. And uh, you know, like none of the immortals or villains are given much in the way of personality. But um, besides uh, Charlize, there's also you know just like solid pros like Matthias Schoenart, Kiki Lane, mm. Chiwetel uh, Ejiofor, and uh, and a grown-up Dudley Dursley. It's a little guest star here. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, we got, got some dogs in the room. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh you know, even though it's got a lack of personality, it's got a uh, it's got solid bones. I'll watch the sequel. What the fuck Freedom are we five. talking about? What is this? The old guard. Oh, the, the old, old guard. Charlie's oh the wrong. God. You gave us a three out of five? <laughs> yeah, dude. Solid action movie. No, no way. There's no way that's true. <laughs> I didn't talk about it, but the other day I watched uh, Eon Flux again. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, I really only watched it because after watching um, Peep Show during the like lockdown, I remembered how much I enjoyed uh, Patterson Joseph. And he's in the movie for like five minutes. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to see Patterson Joseph. And he's great in the five minutes that he's in the movie. Um, Nice, but yeah, uh, Eon Flux as a movie is uh, pretty terrible, and it can't hold. I mean, you know, it can't hold candle to the show. So I never saw the this show a, either. This is definitely a controversial opinion, Kevin. <laughs> oh yeah, I know, I know. Didn't I know. the director of Eon Flux isn't that the lady who directed uh, that Nicole Kidman movie last year? It's uh, Karen Kusama, right? Right, Karen Kusama. Yeah. Oh, I, I don't. She know. directed that Nicole. They thought Nicole Kidman was going to get an Oscar nod. Destroyer? Yeah, Destroyer. Oh. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I'm I'm okay with her getting passed over on that one. I watched the first five minutes of that movie, but I and I turned it off. I forget why well, it wasn't like I was disgusted, but I was just kinda like bored, I think. And I just mm. <laughs> and I was like, I'll check it out later. Yeah, and that's bad because you're you're a Kidman fan. Through I, and through. I like Kidman a lot, but yeah. there's something about her like she did, uh, goofy weird makeup and stuff. I don't know. Mm. Kusama did uh, Kusama. Karen Kusama did, did the invitation, which was a uh, oh, that's that's right. Yeah, yeah. More of, of note than mm. Destroyer, I think. And I've heard good things about she did Girl Fight, right? Oh. yeah. I've heard good things yeah, about that. She, she did Girl Fight, and then immediately went on to, to Eon Flux, which was bad. And then she did Jennifer's Body, which is bad. I actually, yeah, I remember <laughs> seeing that she did that, and I was like, I should probably check that out because I do like uh, Diablo Cody, and I know that movie mm-hmm. got gets like a bad rap, but um, I don't know. Might might give it a not. I'm gonna give it a chance one of these days. Yeah. I like uh, Amanda Seyfried. Good luck. Thanks, <laughs> <laughs> Kevin. 
Okay. So Or was Eon Flux your your tr- <laughs> No. <laughs> uh so after having after having seen uh Brando in The Godfather, I, des- I decided, you know what? I should watch um on the waterfront again because it's been about you know like four years since I've seen it. Um, I remember not being thrilled about it the first time I saw it, but you know I remember not being thrilled about a lot of things and then realizing that they're gold. Anyway, um, I really enjoyed it uh, this time around. Like I can I can see more of. I don't know if I'm fully in the camp that uh, you know there's. There's acting before Brando and acting after Brando um, that a lot of people tout. Seem to, yeah, seem to think. Um, but I, I, I do think he was really, really good in this. And um, I don't know if it's so much that there's acting before and after well, Brando, but I feel like well, it's, to be fair, I think Bogdanovich said that. So I don't. So I mean, take his Bogdan- word yeah. to Bogdanovich made one good movie, but uh, no, just kidding. Yeah. Lies. He uh, well, he's in he's in Sopranos also as a uh, oh. as one of the therapists. So that's pretty good. <laughs> but um, anyway, uh, I, I I feel like it's more like a Hollywood thing. Like there's mm. Hollywood, there's you know, major Hollywood studios would the kind of acting they that they would have in their films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Differs from what Brando is doing, and after Brando and James Dean and some other people like that, right? You know, it felt like yeah. maybe. But I mean, it's also like cultural revolution and shit like that the 60s yeah, happened yeah. i mean there's the, yeah. the the haze code gets annihilated and becomes a you know free-for-all so yeah and i feel like um and on the waterfront rules <laughs> yeah like uh freaking lee j cobb he's yeah. great that guy's amazing and like um like i um i'm not sure like i don't know if i had seen Rod Steiger in anything else before I had seen on the waterfront the first time, but like since I saw it the first time, like I've seen him in uh, uh, Zhivago and in the Heat of the Night, and like he's he's great. Um, is he in? Uh, he, he's the pawnbroker. Is uh, that he, him? He's, he's uh, Brando's brother. Who's in, no? Who's in the pawnbroker? Is that not him? Jr. Uh, Brando's thought Brando's brother was Carl Malden. No, that's the priest. Carl Malden's the priest, yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Isn't Rod Steiger in the pawnbroker? I don't know. Have you seen the pawnbroker? Yes, sorry, he is the pawnbroker. Yeah, he is the pawnbroker. Okay. 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 That's what I thought. That's the only thing I've really seen him in, I think. Besides oh, okay. besides this film, of course. Right, right, right. But um Yeah. But uh, Carl Malden, I I've I, that, yeah, he's, he's he's the one I was most impressed with when I watched yeah, it. Yeah, he's really he's really good too. Um Ava Marie Saint, I was like, yeah, you kinda take, what, take whatever. Over. Just the broad in the picture, who cares? <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, I mean, like, she's no she's no Olivia de Havilland R.I.P. Fair whatever. I'm <laughs> 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 not sure I've seen an Olivia de Havilland movie. Oh no, you only saw like some ra- some place. random strung together thing from the adventures of Robin Hood and Oh yeah, I <laughs> saw I saw one scene from that movie. That was enough. <laughs> 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 Any <Flynn> blows. Go ahead. <laughs> Anyways, uh, I'll was? eventually watch like that and yeah, Humphrey yeah. Bogart movies and shit. I, I just haven't got around to it. To be, to be fair, I like when I watched uh, In a Lonely Place. I thought it was just boring, mm. and uh, and I remember specifically there's there's a a line delivery that Bogey 
delivers in in a lonely place that is a, an exact copy of a delivery that he did in the Maltese Falcon. Ouch! And I was like, dude, like what? So yeah, so yeah, those those older actors, you can you know you can pick your battles on that one. Um, but yeah, on the waterfront is really good. Um. I was going to rewatch a uh, streetcar named Desire because I just read the play recently, but I don't know. It, maybe some other time down the road I'll watch it again. But right now I just deep don't have dark, the interest in it. Deep dark, deep <laughs> dark. Oh, oh, I see, I see. That'd All be right. fun. I like that. Yeah. Oh, for a deep dive for that, uh, for that yeah. film, you want me to choose Streetcar for next week? Well, no, Jr. will choose it. No, okay, yeah. I mean, it just—that's on you, bud. Uh, you know, like put it on the list. <laughs> I don't like—I not... don't like Streetcar, but it's been a long time since I've seen it. Yeah. I like Elliot Kazan, though. I like everything else I've seen by him, really, mm. pretty much. Um, okay, uh, I watched uh, Once Upon a Time in the West because I'm on a Western kick, man. I can't stop. And uh, <laughs> there was a—I uh, I actually thought I was like—I was like, you know, yeah, I'm going to watch a couple more of these Western noirs here on. Uh, on Criterion, mm. and that'll probably round me out for a little while. But then I went on on Prime, and there's like a hundred westerns I want to see on Prime. <laughs> I just like, nice. I had to add them all to my list. All these yeah, old yeah, Burt yeah. Lancaster ones and shit. Mm. So I had to see all this. And there's one called The Scalp Hunters with uh, it's directed by Sidney Pollock. I was like, Sidney Pollock directed uh, huh. Jeremiah Johnson. I love that shit. So. Right. So I got to check that one out. But uh, watched Once Upon a Time in the West from Sergio Leone in 1968. Uh, you know, it didn't blow me away here, Jr. I'm sorry to say. Um, you're, you're good. I, <laughs> look, I. This is this is definitely one of like this is like a formative movie watching experience for me, and uh, saw it at exactly the right time and fell in love. Haven't seen it in a long time. I'm not going to be able to defend it. Or I'm not telling I, you don't need to, cause I'm not going to like rip it apart. I don't dislike it. I just wasn't blown away. Like I, I kind of, for the amount of time you have to commit to watch it, I just kind of felt like I was let down a little bit, you know, it's like a really long movie and obviously it's Leone. So I'm not like surprised that there are scenes that are drawn out. So, so long, you know, but, um, I don't this know. This was the I, first of his movies that I saw. Oh, yeah, okay. This is... Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen a ton either. I mean, I saw... The first movie I ever saw by him was uh, Once Upon a Time in America. So, I was... I'm fully prepared, you know, (laughs) for what he is. But uh, this... uh, I don't know. It's something about... I'm not a huge Charles Bronson fan to begin with. He's got to be in a really specific kind of role for me to really get on board. I'd agree with that. And uh, this isn't it, 100% for me. I did like... um, Jason Robards in this a lot. Mm. Like he's a lot of fun. And Henry Fonda I'm like back and forth on his character through the whole thing. Like mm-hmm. I don't know if I buy him as evil as he is trying to be at certain points. Uh I really hate the whole flashback thing at the end where you find out Charles Bronson's motivation. I thought that was kinda lame and I thought it was done better in once in a Quick and the Dead. To be mm. honest, <laughs> with the right, with right. the Sharon now Stone, we're getting offensive. All right. Gary Sinise thing. <laughs> <laughs> I like Quick and the Dead. What are you going to do? What are we going to do here? <laughs> what can um, you do? Um, 
but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I there I I really liked the uh post opening like the first real scene of the film where um Henry Fonda and his gang go in and they kill that whole family. I thought that was pretty ruthless and effective mm-hmm. and I was surprised that that happened, especially when he shoots the boy cuz he saw his face. <laughs> like that's Yikes. pretty intense. But uh I don't know. It's got you know what it is? It's got a lot of that classic Hollywood Western kind of thing going on, like mm. where everybody is wearing dusters and everybody's got a six gun on their hip and it's all about quick drawing and all this kind of shit. And I was just, I, I, it's just not my, I like it to be more real, you know, um, like, mm. I, I don't know how else to describe more authentic, I guess, or something. That's not to say that I don't like a lot of these classic Westerns come off as very, like when I watched blood on the moon a few weeks ago, I mean, that's a, that's very much more gritty and real feeling to me than something like this feels a little glossy i guess to me Mm. in fact i mean comparing it to i watched man with the gun which is a a robert mitchum western on the western noir series and it's amazing and very he's like a ruthless what they call a town tamer Mm. he goes in and he rids towns of gangs wow pretty badass (laughs) i mean it's just really i don't know he kills a lot of people and he's he, the the town's constantly chastising him for killing everybody, but he's just like he won't stop. He just keeps murdering gang members. It's mm. great. I love it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I thought it was way more effective, personally. But you know, what are you gonna do? So, gave Once Upon a Time in the West three out of five. I will rewatch it in about twenty five years when I've forgotten enough about it. You know, it's really fucking long. So. <laughs> How long is it? Three hours? No, it's like two forty-five or something. That's, but I mean, that's crazy mm, long, you know. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, obviously Once Upon a Time in America is longer. Yeah, yeah. I think like, like the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly is longer as well. Yeah, it's three hours solid. I think. I think it's three hours. Oh no, even. isn't it? According to Letterboxd, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly is uh, is two forty-one. Is that Once right? Upon a Time in the West is two forty-six. Huh. I could have sworn I saw that it was three hours. I thought Good I mean, the ugly. I'm checking letterbox here. Mm. So a letterbox doesn't know anything. Yeah. It's been a long time since I've seen Good the Man and the Ugly, but I never I can never remember like its length becoming a problem for me. I have only seen it's two hours and fifty eight minutes according to IMDB. Damn. So letterbox, letterbox is wrong. Shit right. mm. I, I saw the good and the bad actually, you know, I must have seen it like right after I saw Once Upon a Time in America. And I was not a big fan of Good and the Bad and the Ugly, but mm. I saw it when I was like 15 or something. So maybe, you know, yeah. it would change now. But yeah, like I feel like watching it now, like, uh, you know, post my uh, Tarantino's The Greatest Thing Ever in the Universe phase, <laughs> I'd, have, I'd have a different perspective on it. Oh, worse I, or better? Yeah. Like it's better be, but uh, than Tarantino. I don't know. It, it, I guess more positive or negative. Well, I think it would probably better way of wording that. My my thinking now is it would probably stay the same, but for different reasons. You know. Okay. Like I would appreciate different things. It would about go it. down in some ways, but go up in others. And yeah. Stay the ex- same. Exactly. Exactly. So, like in the final analysis, like if I gave it like you know four back then, like it would probably be four now, but yeah. for you know different, different reasons. Yeah. That's fair. All right, Jr. Yeah, me. <laughs> <It's> me Jr. <laughs> uh, 
All right, uh, more more 2020. I watched uh, Posh Rings, Hulu original that premiered at Sundance earlier this year, and uh, you know it's uh, it's really funny, clever take on the uh, the Groundhog Day scenario, hmm. and uh, you know like Andy Samberg is just this kind of like we meet him as an asshole slacker, just like just so <laughs> bitterly attending a wedding with his girlfriend for a couple he doesn't know, you know, like refusing to even like change out of his swimsuit for the wedding. <laughs> and then he, and then like they're doing toasts at the wedding and he like steps in and delivers a super emotional toast in his bathing suit. And you're like, Oh, something's weird. And then he hits on the bride's sister and hangs out there in the desert. And then he gets shot in the shoulder with a bow and arrow out of nowhere and uh, crawls into a cave, and the bride's sister, Kristen uh, Miliati, follows him. And then two people are stuck in a groundhog loop. And, uh, yeah. From there, it's uh, it's funny. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's 80, 88 minutes. It's exactly the right length. This guy has such a hard-on for Andy Samberg. Like, anything Andy Samberg Me? does is brilliant to what? this guy. Look at what was your favorite film of last year? The Bash Brothers experience? <laughs> oh, yeah. You well, love yeah. this guy. <laughs> That's the only one. <laughs> you liked the tennis one, too, didn't you? With uh, Kit Harrington? I know, I've, I've never seen it. Oh, I thought you'd saw <laughs> I, I liked the, uh, the, the tennis one. But, oh, okay. uh, but Tour de Farm is by far like vastly superior. His I his uh, I, I loved it. his funny raps and songs with Justin Timberlake <laughs> are funny from you know twenty years ago. He's over, bud. There it's it's no, over. There are no raps in this movie. <laughs> uh, and, and Andy Samberg is good in this movie. Uh, Chris Miliati is equally as good, and J.K. Mm. Simmons is hilarious. Um, <laughs> is he definitely is, is he like ripped up in this? Do you see his body at all? J.K. Simmons? Simmons? Yeah. No. Is he ripped up? Is he ripped right now? What's... Yeah, like he got ripped for, uh, he was playing uh, Commissioner Gordon right. in the Batman films, but it never like happened. I think he was in one of them, but he's not, like yeah, they were going to, he was going to be like a big part of it and he got super ripped up. Yeah. Why, like... why does Commissioner Gordon need to be ripped? Because it's a, because it's a Zack Snyder version of Batman in Gotham. So he has to like fight yeah, crime. So everybody you know? has to have six packs. Yeah, exactly. He really did too, man. He was, he looked, you see those pictures? I saw the pictures of him like doing curls. Yeah, and, like, man. His, he looks pretty buff. Fucking but... buff. Yeah, Wait, and I mean, so so he was in the Zack Snyder version, or is he in the Matt Reeves version? He's he was going to be in the, the Zack Snyder. Snyder one. He, I don't know he if he actually be was in. in he might know. be in Justice League. He was thinking he was in. Yeah, he might maybe in Justice. Right, I don't think he yeah. was in Batman versus Superman. Yeah. I don't think there was time for that. Sure. But I don't know. Mm. Anyway, uh, Palm Springs is funny. Yeah, it's you the be- best dicks. of the year. We get it. <laughs> <laughs> it uh, you know, I, it's a Sundance movie. It occasionally goes too hard for the heartstrings, and it also. At times, look like it's you know like TV quality. Aren't you but, getting ah. sick of the Groundhog Day formula in movies? I mean, it's like it's how, how many, many movies Groundhog is it in? Okay, you ready? You Should about? I name them? Please, Groundhog Day, Edge of Tomorrow, Edge of tomorrow oh, Happy oh, right, Death right. Day, Happy Death Day to you. This movie, the show Russian Doll, that's on Netflix for a second season now. I mean, it's been done to death, Russian man. Doll? Yeah, Russian Doll with uh, what's her face, Natasha Leone. Oh right, right, right. Why would I watch Russian Doll? It's oh. a TV show. I'm just saying it's a, <laughs> it, it was it's on there. It exists. And and, and hey, <laughs> hey, guess what? 
I noticed a, a common theme with each of the movies you mentioned. <laughs> okay. Each one of them is at least decent. Oh Jesus Christ! And they're all they're all in separate genres. <laughs> Happy Death Day to you is decent. Yeah. Fuck off. For like a, like a teen movie. You guys, you are insane. You are so you're so close-minded. Clever Groundhog Day is the only good one of those. What? You didn't like Edge of Tomorrow at all? I don't remember what I gave it. I didn't love it. I'll tell you that. I can't see I can't see that being John's cup of tea like at all. I actually I haven't seen it but I, I actually can't imagine. Uh, bought it on Blu-ray blind because uh the guys on Film Junk like raved about it oh. for so long. Oh. But I gave it a two and a half. Yeah, I didn't like it very much. <laughs> I was going to say like <laughs> Doug Lyman is just the worst, one of I the agree. greatest masters of the century. <laughs> <laughs> Did you not see Jumper? I saw Swingers. Love love Swingers. I didn't see Jumper actually. I uh I watched I think I no no I didn't watch Jumper at all I watched uh, that movie Push for like five minutes and turned it off. I actually mm-hmm. kind of wanted to see Jumper, but I never got around to it. Did Doug Lyman make Push? No, 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 no. I just saying, it, I had them. Oh. I get them confused with each other. Oh, right. Push has Chris, Chris Evans, I think. Jimon Hanzu, and yeah, Chris Evans, mm. yeah. Mm. But it's Wait. awful. It's awful. I'm pretty sure Javon Hanzu is is also in Jumper. Oh, maybe I'm getting that confused again. Then see, or are you, are, you, are you getting him confused like a, with Samuel L. Jackson? Uh, Sam Jackson is in one of them too. That's right. He's in Jumper. I remember that from the trailer. He's definitely in Jumper. Yeah, I just I associate Javon Hanzu with like Gladiator. every bad action movie <laughs> yeah. made this century. He's in I Push. Mean, you could you could tell me oh. he's in all of them, and I would believe you. Javon <laughs> Hanzu is in Push, as is Corey Stoll. And Dakota Fanning, and uh, he's not in jail. Yeah, so <laughs> not. And Camilla Bell is in it, and Paul McGeegan directed Push, who I used to think was something of a director, but oh, I've only I really seen one of his movies, I think, <laughs> which was Gangster <laughs> Number One. Oh, <laughs> it's a classic from my blockbuster days. Mm. Who who are we on right now? <laughs> How do we get off well, on this? Were you, were you, were you, oh, you were, you were talking about Palm Springs. Palm Springs is garbage. Move on. Let's go. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. I've never seen it. It's probably amazing. It's probably a six out of five. Good. <laughs> so uh, I rewatched uh, Lupin the Third, Castle of Cagliostro, and I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I, I thought it was. I thought it was very well done. It's nice and short. It's funny. It's entertaining. It's a very, very enjoyable experience. This is a Miyazaki film. It's his first movie, but I can't. Re- I can't really call it a Miyazaki film because Lupin the Third was an existing property, and it's a Toho thing. So he was just. He's the director, I, though. Yeah. Yeah, he's okay. a director, but you know, it's like. Um, it's it's not like what we would what we would think of as a Miyazaki movie because you know his are you know like he writes them and you know he's very much more involved where like this he's kind of this was essentially him like you know doing the job I so see. you know because like he wasn't like you know it's Toho it's like his first feature film so I watched yeah. uh, the first five minutes of Nausicaa Valley of the Wind and uh, 
and you hated it. Yeah, I just wanted to throw up. It was so I was just like bored out of my skull. I was like, "This is the war. How do people watch this shit? It's just <laughs> like the animation didn't even look good. I was like, "This doesn't even look good." Like, have you seen Akira? This is not good animation. <laughs> I'm sorry. There should be more than like you know three drawings per per second on that shit. It's just like laggy as fuck. It's horrible. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> I don't mean to down. I, you know, I've seen one Miyazaki, Miyazaki film all the way through, and we re- reviewed yeah, it for yeah, this know, podcast. So, yeah, John is in a, John's John's in a fucking mood. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Have, like, you've known him longer than I have. Like, how do you not? Like, <laughs> like, come on, I man. Have? I don't know. Well, I don't know if that's true. I'm Maybe. Pretty- Let's I mean, get off on a tangent on who knows each other the longest. Well, like I've known Jr. since twenty fifteen ish. Okay, so like a year more. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I mean, well, like we've discussed at length. Like I'm one hundred percent sure that I have like seen. You know, I saw like you and Jonathan around. Oh sure, yeah. And you know, like various places around. I town. saw a picture of you on the library Facebook page, <clears throat> holding up the Boys of Brazil book <laughs> right. before I knew you. Right, you um, love that shit. Yeah, boys from Brazil fucking rules. Yeah. All right, continue with Lupin the Third. Uh, that was it. Okay. <laughs> All right, well. I also rewatched this recently, and it's good. Oh, okay. Yeah, I can suck a dick. Hey. <laughs> hey, guess what, guys? I'm about to talk about one that you guys can shit all over if you want to, okay? Here we go. Uh, so Great. I watched uh, Rear, Win- Rear Window, directed by <laughs> Alfred Hitchcock. <laughs> You're an asshole. You guys want to talk shit about this one? or? <laughs> My uh, my third Hitchcock film. This and, is four uh, and a half shit. Hey man, look, <laughs> look. Uh, my buddy Rustin had watched this before, and he was mm. like, he was like, uh, we should re we should watch Rear Window. I've been wanting to rewatch it, and I said, okay. Right, right, right. So we did, and uh, yeah, I mean, I liked it a lot. I uh, mm. I'm coming around on Jim Stewart, man. I I really thought I was not a fan of his, but I'll tell you, he's pretty good in this one. He's yeah. a real asshole. Oh, I know. I love how much of an asshole he is in this. <laughs> last time, last time I watched this, I was like, "It's like Grace Kelly, like get the fuck out of yeah, there." Yeah, I know, right? She's like way too good to him. <laughs> oh, she is like, and like that's the thing too. Like he's like, you know, like oh, she's out of my league, but like I'm still gonna be a dick to her and yeah. push her away. Yeah. But like, you he know. won't settle down with her. It's like, what are I you know. doing, bud? Yeah. Anyway. uh He's great. She's really terrific as well. Yes. Obviously. I mean, there's nothing I can say about this that hasn't been said a million times, but like the set design is insane. And yeah. the, uh, this, the telling of story through imagery, you know, just like him watching people and you understand what's going on. And mm-hmm. the lady who's doing dance moves, shaking her ass in the window. That was lovely. And, yeah. uh, the, uh, the killer guy, the only, I guess my Raymond Burr. Yeah. I liked him. My big issue with the film, it's not a big issue, it's a nitpick, but it's like his hair is really like goofily colored, like it just looks mm, really can, fake, you know? I can see that. It's like it was spray painted, and I never bought him as being old at all. And there's another guy, too, in the, in the, I'm trying to remember who it was, who's also like got fake old old makeup on, and I was like, why are there so many people who have to look old in this? Why do they have to be old? Just like make them normal looking. But uh, other than that, I don't know. I didn't have a big problem with it. I liked the scene when Raymond Burr attacks him, like comes to his apartment, but mm. I don't love the effect. I like the idea that he uses flashbulbs to blind him, but I think it goes on a little bit too long, and I hate the like 
superimposed circle of light on the on the screen, you know, and mm. kind of how Jim Stewart just does the exact same motion over and over again, like six times. That's a little bit a little <laughs> bit much for me. But uh, yeah, I really love the whole, you know, the intrigue of the plot, and uh, it made me really want to rewatch Body Double. Oh, which is a Brian De Palma film, which isn't quite as, not nearly as good, really. And uh, doesn't really have very much in common with it at all. I thought it had a lot. (laughs) I thought it was much more voyeuristic than it is. It's really just like he watches a a woman get nude through a telescope twice, but, Mm. and he sees a murder through the telescope, but that's really all there is as far as. I think a a more, a more faithful remake would be uh, Disturbia. Right. Disturbia. (laughs) (laughs) Which I. Classic. (laughs) There's also any number of uh, sitcom episodes from the 90s that recreate this movie, you know. Yeah. People yeah. looking through their bedroom yeah. windows at their neighbors doing things that they think are illegal. Um, but yeah. Or uh, like, I'm going to go over there tomorrow and I'm going to tell her to put those shades down. Right. Like, <laughs> oh, Seinfeld. About, right, yeah, yeah. We've been dreaming about this since we were 11 years old. Now you want to throw it away? Yeah, it's classic. Indeed. What are, what are we quoting? I don't That's know. from Seinfeld, Seinfeld from the contest episode yeah. where they're all trying not to masturbate. Yeah. And Jerry's trying oh, really course. hard, but there's a nude woman across the way. Yeah. Which is just like, when you think about it in terms of now, it's like so offensive. It would be so offensive to like, you know, the liberal yeah, kind yeah. of, you know, if you're stalking some woman through her blinds and jerking off. It's, it's just, yeah. you know, how could they get away with this? But uh, yeah. anyways, yeah, I loved uh, Rear Window and I... I almost uh, watch. I, I I've been owning Psycho for a while. I need to watch Psycho, and I need to watch Psycho again too. Because yeah. like, I have never. I just, I just can't get on the Psycho bandwagon. Like, try I just, the, try the Gus Van Sant remake. You know, it's okay. a good starting point. And I, <laughs> 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 I just, can't. I actually did like it though. I've seen. Okay. I've actually seen that. I haven't seen the original, right, but right. I've seen the Gus Van Sant film. I enjoyed it. I don't know. Sue me. <laughs> anyway, JR? Okay. You know, I got shut off for talking about a good movie, so I'll just go back to the mediocre land. <laughs> um, just kidding. Uh, this, is, this movie isn't really mediocre so much as I just don't know how I feel about it. I watched uh, She Hate Me earlier today, which is a uh, definitely one of Spike Lee's biggest like flops. You know, in the uh, early 2000s, this was his follow-up to 25th Hour, and it's it's just like a bizarre episodic premise where Anthony Mackie starts off in like this uh, like corporate corporate espionage drama, and like uh, his boss commits suicide, and he's going to be like a whistleblower. And then he loses his job, and uh, so his income, and his ex-fiance Carrie Washington enlists him to impregnate both her and her girlfriend, which leads to um, him impregnating wealthy lesbians a lot. Like, that's the... It's like the second 40 minutes of the movie. And uh, and then somehow the mob gets involved with uh, Monica Bellucci and her father, John Totoro. I'm pretty sure they're probably, like, the same age. Yeah, that was, I was going to say, uh, like, shaky. I'm... <laughs> I would think Totoro would be younger. <laughs> anyway. And then, uh, you know, like there's this like this weird running thing where um, Shuvalegia Four like is 
a security guard at the Watergate uh, building, and there, there's this whole like independent thing that tells like the story of the Watergate scandal somehow. And uh, then there's like a really awful like soap opera y um, resolution. And uh, I just I don't know. It is the only movie where I just couldn't figure out what the fuck Spike Lee was trying to do. And I think that's why it got really awful reviews when it came out. Everyone's mm. like, it. Spike Lee doesn't know what he's doing. I was like, I'm pretty sure Spike Lee probably does know what he's doing. Mm. Uh, and just we can't figure it out because he's not, he's not telegraphing anything that lets me know it's a satire. There's a bunch of like negative stereotypes from a bunch of characters and like a lot of homophobia and comments about nuclear family but it just it's not played as satire and it's and he's not like condemning bad behavior it doesn't seem so it's just it's weird um and it's it's always interesting but then the final act just kind of sucks it also looks great does it really like Hmm. yeah like uh it's definitely like in that early spike lee digital era and it it looks good huh i was surprised um i don't i you know i, I rated this a three on letterbox because i just like didn't know what to do with it mm. i don't i'm not sure yeah i don't know also delroy lindo is in this as anthony mackie's father mm-hmm. and he looks older than he does now is he good in it he's in two scenes for five seconds i can't i can't decide after having seen him in uh whatever the fuck the movie is called the five bloods Bloods, and in clockers and in crooklyn i can't decide if he's a good actor or not Mm. like he's just so he's very what do you think of him as uh, west indian archie he's like he's fine in that, but there, there's that scene later where he's like got had a stroke or whatever, and it's oh, a little yeah. goofy. Like I don't know how you know what I mean. It's a little over the top in that one. Yeah, I don't but, know. Uh, yeah. Well, I guess I, I don't know either. Well, really, we gotta rewatch uh, Cider House Rules to decide. I haven't seen Cider House Rules, so oh, okay. that'll be a first timer for me. <laughs> <laughs> the pained look on Jr.'s face. Didn't Michael Caine win an Oscar for that shit? I think so. Yes. Yeah. It was offensive. It wasn't. Right. <laughs> it, was, it was really boring. Um. um okay. I definitely don't want to watch it again. Okay. But uh, that was my. So anyway, she hate me was. Uh, I'm almost done with Spike. I got I got Girl Six and uh, and Crooklyn left, and I, I don't know when I'm going to get to those. Those as far as his like features go. So we'll see. Cool. Mm. I've got uh, I don't know, like five left, and I just kind of sputtered out. I've gotten to the western thing. I don't care anymore. Right. <laughs> I just watch westerns, man. Yeah. <laughs> go ahead. Like that was one of the reasons why I decided to embark on the Scorsese project because yeah, I, I was know. like, "It's like okay, like his movies are good enough that I know that I can commit to this." And yeah. Like because like I know that like quality up or down, like it's not going to be one hundred percent slog. Yeah. So I'd say they're almost all at least good. Yeah. Yeah. Watchably good. Yeah. So speaking of things that are not watchably good. Mm. Uh, my brother and I found on YouTube a bit from our childhood, and we watched this movie, Adventures in Dinosaur City. Now, we have this kid who 
has some older friends, which is not really explained in the movie. His parents are scientists. They, they're working on some, like, um, molecular transport device thing. So they go out of town for a conference. So he decides, oh, we're going to go into the lab to see the big TV, and we're going to watch this dinosaur show that we all love. And that has a theme song that is, like, really, really hardcore ripping off Wall of Voodoo. And because of this molecular stuff, it's going to take this show that we love, and it's going to make it real. And we're going to be sucked into it. A la Pleasantville. Pretty much. Only with dinosaurs. Sure. And this weird war between dinosaurs and humans, and... Poorly put together plot points and this is bad a, jokes. This is a TV program? It was made... No, it was... Um, like, we saw it on the Disney Channel. Okay. But it, but it was a movie that was made by, like, an actual oh, company okay. and et cetera, et cetera. Um, What's but, it yeah, called again? Adventures in Dinosaur City. Okay. And it's on YouTube. And, like, you know, normally with, like... Movies that I saw when I was a kid, I can go back and be like, oh, well, that's not so great, but this is good. But this one is just like, why did I watch this so much? When you're a kid, you don't know. Exactly. And, like, I I need to ask my mom, because I'm sure she'd probably remember, like, what did you think when we were watching this movie? Like, did you just think, like, this was the dumbest stuff you'd ever seen? It's like, I mean, Because it's pretty dumb. It's like the shit that my kid (laughs) watches is, you know... It's like nonsense. Yeah. I mean, it's not non it makes sense, but it's just like Yeah, I you mean, know, it's for kids. It's not interesting at all. Yeah. It's boring. <laughs> yeah. You just ignore it. Until you hear Chuck Chicken say damn and you're like, Uh-oh. wait a second. <laughs> yeah. In the G. I. Joe movie they say shit. In the animated one. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Or maybe it's a Transformers movie. One or the other, I can't remember. Mm. Anyways, Orson Welles got a potty mouth. Right. Um, I watched uh, Weird Science for the first time because it's on the uh, HBO app, and I'd never seen it, and I was just kind of bored, and I was like, "This should be an easy, fun watch," and it was. Uh, it wasn't great, but there were some funny moments. I really liked the. There's this one scene. I mean, it, it, it's so stupid and silly, but it's like. Uh, Bill Paxton, you know, plays the older brother of one of the characters, and he's yelling at his younger brother about something. And he says, "Would you, would you make a woman out of out of spare parts in your closet?" And then he, and then the the character just looks at the camera and smirks. <laughs> and I don't know for some reason that really leveled me out, man. I, I laughed for a while about that, <laughs> but uh, it's really weird. The, um. To watch, I watched Breakfast Club right after this, uh, just because I was in a Hughesy mood. You know, is that one a Hughes? Yeah. Did he just write it or did he direct? It? He did wrote and direct both of them. Okay. Um, and uh, it's completely like when I watched Breakfast Club, I was just like, they should have given Anthony Michael Hall an Oscar because his character—they're from the same year, and they could not be more different. These two characters, like mm. they're polar opposites and he pulls both of them off and it looks really it looks like he's playing himself in both ones nice so it was very impressive particularly his performance in breakfast club mm. but uh you know weird science is fine i don't 100 percent understand 
how two 16, 17-year-olds don't want to do more with this unbelievably hot woman that they've created, you know, other than, you know, look at her shower with their clothes on. (laughs) I mean, be a fucking break. And it's a little weird to see her making out with the one guy who's not Anthony Michael Hall because that guy's like 13 in reality. Hmm. And she's, you know, 24 or whatever. So, Mm. a little little weird. But, uh... Yeah, I mean... What are you going to do? It's like when Brad Pitt kissed uh, Kirsten Dunst in Interview with the Vampire, and she's like nine. (laughs) Oh, yeah. But, uh, you know, it wasn't... It's not as bad in that movie because they're not making out. Yeah. (laughs) They're just pecking. Yeah. I don't know. Hughes is, like, firmly in the PG-13 camp, I believe. No, there are both R-rated pictures. (laughs) This guy... They the F word a lot. In, uh, uh, no, actually, right, right. I, you know what? Breakfast Club is 100% rated R. I'm not okay, 100% sure okay. that uh, Weird Science might be a PG-13 now mm. that I think about it. I don't think so, though, because there's yeah, like, like... I don't know. With John Hughes, I don't. I never associate oh, him weird, with Weird like, Science is PG-13. Okay, okay. But uh, yeah, Breakfast Club is R because there's like okay, a lot of F-bombs yeah. in it. And yeah, shit, yeah, and yeah, yeah. Judd Nelson says the F word a bunch. When he says to... The the bad guy principal guy he's like fuck you oh, and he yeah, closes yeah, the yeah, door. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I would have thought that'd be like the one f bomb you could get away with. Yeah, that would still get it. A would make sense, but he says the f word a few other times. Okay, too. okay. And there's all kinds. Of, I mean, it's like uh, just based on content, you get an R rating nowadays because yeah, there's drug content in it, and then there's like yeah. his his he talks about his abuse at home, like he gets burned with cigars and shit. Yeah, like thematic elements. Yeah, exactly. And smoking. What do you think of that? It's about the size of a cigar. Do I stutter? Yeah. <laughs> Judd Nelson's pretty good in it. Yeah everybody, yeah. everybody's decent in it. Yeah. Anyway, that's uh, Weird Science and a rewatch of The Breakfast Club. I have never been able to remember which one is Weird Science and which one is Real Genius. <laughs> so, Real Genius okay, has okay, Val okay, Kilmer. Okay. Anthony Michael Hall, I was like... Okay, now you're talking sacrilege, my friend. Real Genius is a five out of five. I don't know about that, but it's got are, it's got Val Kilmer in it for God's sake. Yeah. Well, that's what I was like. Yeah, I enjoy that Kilmer one called Weird Science. Oh my but, god! Um, wow. I know, you know Weird Science. The How dare time. you disparage the Martha Coolidge like this? I don't know who that is. They're not the same <laughs> movie. They're the same time. Well, I uh, I remember Weird Science is Weird Science because I was I when I was a kid I used to watch the television program a lot, like the te- with Vanessa Angel as the woman, mm. the girl from Kingpin. She plays the woman that they create uh, and uh so i i'm aware of that that's how i differentiate i guess i don't know if i've actually seen real genius all the way through ever also they both came out in 1985 sure so. sure but kilmer is the main differentiation i mean yeah it's not, val not kilmer mi- not to mention the entirely different plots <laughs> you dumbass oh, yeah, yeah. i'm not saying they're the same plot yeah, well same you're movie. wrong they're both about nerds it's the same title anyway jr all right i um caught up with the assistant which premiered at film festivals last year and got a little release in january this year and um stars the girl from ozark julia garner and it's uh you know it is definitely a movie about the you know harvey weinstein situation without being a movie about harvey weinstein um but you know julia garner is a new newish employee at this uh big production company studio and she is an assistant obviously she arrives really early in the dark makes the coffee tidies up the boss's office before he gets in 
all that kind of stuff. Um, and just, it's a movie that's like a, it's, a, it's like a day in the life movie. It's just one, one work day for Julia Garner. Uh, but you know, throughout this work day, we get these just like little clues, uh, and she and the audience just kind of piece together that this, uh, studio boss is a predator. And, um, the movie works because it is quiet and subtle and because it doesn't tell you anything. There's no, like, there's nothing explicit. And, uh, we end up having a lot of characters like talking around something like there's a great scene where uh, Julia Garner goes next door to the, I guess the studio has two buildings and she talks with an HR person played by Matthew McFadden who uh, just very brilliantly, like, like she's like saying a problem and he just repeats it back to her in a way that makes her feel like what she just said was stupid. And uh, it, it's just like a, it's a perfect scene. It's great. Matthew McFadden, he's uh, he's the real Mr. Darcy, you know what I'm saying? Or Dancy. <laughs> can't remember. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but yeah, you know, I'm sure there's going to be a, a totally average Harvey Weinstein biopic or situation movie that comes out sometime. But uh, I thought that uh, kind of leaving his name off, never showing this character at all and structuring it kind of like one day and like a, I don't know if you all have seen like Chantal Ackerman's uh, Jean Dillman movie. But just the, the very like I own structured it, procedural nature of it. But I've not watched but, it. Mm. Okay. Darcy is it's right. Good. Darcy, not Dancy. This, Darcy, thank you. <laughs> That's Hugh Hugh Dancy. Right. Hugh British Dancy. Actor. Yeah, from might play Mr. Darcy, but this guy's the real Darcy. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um from Joe Wright's Pride and Pride. Oh, this is uh this is my favorite movie of the year so far. Four point two five out of five. I haven't Ooh. seen First Cow. I know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I knew you were going to say that. Yeah, too. yeah, yeah. <laughs> The disclaimer on there. But I haven't seen First Cow. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Cool. Kev? So, back to back to good stuff. I... <laughs> <laughs> from you. From your Yeah, stuff. from me. From yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, I rewatched uh, The Hustler because uh, next up in the Martin Scorsese queue is uh, Color of Money. And, which is the sequel to The Hustler. So it's like, I need to watch The Hustler again. Absolutely. Frickin' Paul Newman and George C. Scott are, like, fantastic. Like, they are just... just George C. Scott is in it? Yeah, he's... Um, yeah, he's the... Uh, the I don't even know what you call him. Like, lo- He's not really a loan shark, but he's like... Uh, like he. I don't know because the other guy is the guy from the honeymooners, right? The, yeah, uh, Jackie yeah. Gleason is uh, Gleason, Minnesota right. Fats, who's like the bet you know the best uh, pool player in the land that Paul Newman is trying to beat, and tries to over the course of like um, twenty five hours or probably longer actually. Um, but yeah, and uh, Piper Laurie is in this too, and I don't know, like I don't know exactly what to think of her performance. I thought it was good, but, like, I don't know. She seems, like, so, I don't know. It's, like, so obvious that, like, she's putting on a performance, whereas, like, Paul Newman and George C. Scott and Jackie Gleason and Myron McCormick, they're all they're all acting. They're all, like, you know, you believe them as their characters. It's it's really good. Uh, really, really great acting. And I'm looking forward to rewatching Color of Money, 
which I don't remember loving, but again, I'll probably I'll probably be able to take something away from this this time that I w- wouldn't have been able to back when I first saw it. So. It was one of my early infatuations with Scorsese, The Color mm, of Money. I nice. loved it when I was a kid. I actually yeah. haven't seen it in many, many years. Mm, okay. But uh, I got rid of the DVD thinking I was going to upgrade the Blu-ray, but mm. then I read a review that the Blu-ray was really awful, oh, like the man. quality and stuff, so I never got it. Yeah. So I haven't seen it in a while, but um, I don't know. Who knows? I love Tom Cruise. He's, yeah. he's a fucking good actor. When you give him something especially, good to do, Yeah, great. especially then. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Late 80s. Yeah. Crushing it. Um. Okay. I uh. I watched um the Naked Spur, mm. directed by Anthony Mann, which is a western starring Jim Stewart, mm-hmm. James Stewart, and uh, Janet Lee. Speaking of Psycho, mm. and um, somebody else. Oh, Ralph Meeker is in it. Who I I don't actually know, but that he's amazing familiar. in it. Uh, I don't. Yeah, I'm not sure what else he's been in, mm. but uh. His character in this is really fun. JR, talking about the naked spur, bud. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Love it, that movie. It was good. Uh I uh I was telling saying that Ralph Meeker, his character, the the disgraced army soldier, I this guy's great. Like <laughs> I just love I love the he's just such a douche, but it's it really he <laughs> plays it really well. And uh I really enjoyed the action sequences in the film, like when they're attacked by the, or not really attacked by the, when they're talking to the Indians and they end up in a fight. Uh, that whole shootout is really great in the woods. And then the, uh, especially the final action sequence on the river, like that whole thing, just starting from when, uh, what's his face escapes. I forget his name too. Who's the villain in it? Uh, good question. I don't, Fucking... don't remember fucking robert ryan robert ryan escapes them and uh is in the uh you know he's like sniping them from the the cliff edge and janet lee's trying to stop him i love that whole sequence too and all the river stuff where his body's in the river and they're trying to lasso it in what dropped it for me is the ending i hate the ending of this movie like the last (laughs) two minutes are brutal they don't make any sense to me it's so convenient and lame, like the way that James Stewart just does a total 180 about like this whole movie has been trying to get this guy because dead or alive, he's going to get him five grand if he captures him. Spoiler, the guy's fucking dead at the end. All he has to do is ride the fucking body into town. He gets five grand. All his problems are solved. He can sleep with Janet Lee <laughs> and buy the farm or whatever he wants to buy. And then he just has like this uh strike of conscience out of nowhere and starts crying and then decides to bury the body what the fuck jr what the fuck man i I don't remember this but i would guess that these two minutes are the thing that kept it from being a five yeah on my rating yeah it's brutal dude um and uh, i apologize if you mentioned it already uh was this a did this go on the pro or con list for jim jimmy stewart Oh, I mean, this is like I didn't dislike his performance at all. I, 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 I he's fine in it. I wasn't super impressed. I was more like infatuated with Ralph Meeker. I wish he was in it more. And there's also uh, 
another fellow, I guess it's Millard Mitchell, the old guy that he teams up with first. Yep. Like that guy's great too. I, I, my, the weak part of this movie is, is Robert Ryan. I think he's kind of goofy in some scenes. Like he's just kind of like almost like comically evil at some points, but <laughs> yeah, it's pretty solid. And, uh, it's, think- this is part of the Western noir series also on the criterion. And I'll be watching the other Anthony Mann film that's on there. For sure. Yeah. And yeah. as many yeah. more as I can find. Nothing bad to say about Anthony McMahon. Mm. Love, love him. What's Back. his best Western? Uh, he doesn't own a hotel. Oh, <laughs> just kidding. Sorry. Uh, I really love the uh, the, land for, the the man from Laramie. Excuse me. Oh, okay. Uh, I think probably... The Winchester 73 is probably considered by most to be his best Western. Um, the Furies is probably up there. That one's on the Criterion cha- or cr- on the Criterion Collection, excuse me. But uh, I I don't think you can go wrong with his Westerns. Like Man of the West is great. Um, Bend of the River is great. Far Country is great. These they're just they're good. He did like a shitload with James Stewart. It's crazy. Like I was looking at their yeah. the filmography and I was just like, this is nuts. Like all these, there's so <laughs> many. It's crazy. Mm. Anyway, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. And uh, you know, just like I say, just the Western thing. It's it's happening right now. So it's not stopping anytime soon. I'm working on a list of, and this is not like a list that I, I, it'll be public like 10 years from now. Right. It's just a list that I'm ranking. <laughs> I'm ranking every Western I've ever seen. Oh. So I'm up to like 60 something, oh. which is, you know, that's just like not even scraping the surface, but right, like, yeah. I feel like it's a lot for me. Cause I was, there was such a long time in my life that I wouldn't watch a Western like this. Mm. I would never have watched this like 10 years ago. <laughs> What's on the top at the moment? Uh, it's got to be McCabe and Mrs. Miller. Oh, right, right. I think it's McCabe and Mrs. Miller, and the number two, number two is Dead Man, and number three uh, is... Uh, I don't know what number three is. I actually have to look it up. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> sorry. Go ahead, JR. Love that. I've got, you know, three quarters of my lists on Letterboxd are not public. All right. <laughs> and I, I'm always waiting until I... Finish, oh. finish the thing. I will I say this. Okay, them. so my number three Western of all time on this list, a uh-huh. little bit of a cheat. It's Meek's Cutoff, but I don't know that I would consider Meek's Cutoff a Western. Mm. I put it on there until I could make the final decision, but it's like, like, like for me, like The Revenant is not a Western. Right, right. It's just like it's a time period thing for me. These movies are just happening too early to be Westerns. Like I wouldn't even call uh, First Cow a Western. Like It just takes place too early. Right, they're and more like pioneer 1850s? films. Yeah, those are like pioneer films. If there's no six guns, it's not a western. What about uh, geography too? Geography you, is no, that no, that of course. I mean, if it's a, if it's a movie that takes place in the old west time period, but it's in you know France, it's probably not a western. <laughs> you know? Right, right. But I mean, uh, well, thinking like like the Revenant and like I'm guessing First Cow takes place like up north in like Oregon, Washington. Yeah, they're trappers. That's correct. So yeah. That doesn't, I mean, that's not necessarily a deal breaker. Like, if it was in 1875 and it was in Oregon, it could be a Western for me. Yeah. If it was, it could be in set in New York City in 1875 and be a, be a Western technically for me, but it's just like, it just has to do with the, the time. I wrote it in here. I said that it's like, I'm trying to be inclusive. 
but like like I have Jeremiah Johnson on here too, but that's not really a western either. So these are pioneer survival films. Like that's right, what right, they right. are. Yeah, it's like a subgenre. You know, mm. like I wouldn't put well, like I'm not putting to... No Country for Old Men on this list. Like right, it's right. not a western at all. No. As much as people want to put it in Please that don't. category. Mm. I hate that shit. And like Lone Star or The Rover and all that. I mean, it's like these movies are not Westerns. I don't know. How are they Westerns? <laughs> you know? I'm Sorry. trying to think of, um, there's a John Wayne movie that, not John Wayne, John Ford movie that I definitely, I'll find this later. Um, I just, I think that there, there could be a crossover between like the Pioneer and the Western if that pioneer movie involves traditional cowboys and guns. Yeah. I think, I mean, for me, a lot of it has to do, and this is going to sound silly to people who think that, you know, no country for old men is a Western, but, but it's like, for me, it's just like it, like if I don't see a six gun in the movie, like if they're using like single shot flintlock, you know, pistols, like that's not a, that's not the old West. Now you're into like almost like revolutionary times, you know? Mm, Yeah. It's just a difference in, it's like even uh, Sisters Brothers, like Sisters Brothers is obviously a Western, right? Right. But it's super early. Like it takes place in like the 1850s or something. Like it's crazy early. Mm. And they're using ball and cap pistols, like the earliest version of revolvers. Oh, yeah. But it's yeah. still a Western. Like I still count it as a Western wholeheartedly. Right, right. It's got a lot of Western imagery in it. but And it, that's, that's, that's like gold. Wasn't that gold rush? Well, they're looking for gold. That, uh, Right, I mean, like, Gold Rush era. Oh yeah, sure, right, yeah, mm, like eighteen forty nine shit. Yeah, you know, anything Gold Rush era can be Western because sure. there's typically some uh, shenanigans involved with killing people over gold. Of course, yeah, of course, and that's part of it too, I guess. Sure. I mean, I have like Heaven's Gate on this list, which is, I guess, technically a Western, but again, that takes place a little late. See, it's a little bit late. It's like in the eighteen, mm. like late eighteen nineties. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. I don't know. This really narrow sweet spot. Well, I mean, the, it really is. It's the Goldilocks just, it's Western Zone. Yeah. I know. Well, I mean, uh, even in this narrow sweet spot, there's like a bajillion and a half movies. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, so, I could eliminate those and still have plenty. Yeah. But uh, anyway. Especially uh, if, you, if you're if you like really getting into, you know, the, the golden age of Hollywood, like, you know, a Western like every three days. I mean, yeah, I've seen like one John Ford Western mm. so far. So, I mean, like yeah. it's it's I got a long way to go. You know? Right. Anyway, Jar, are we on you, bud? Yeah, but I'm out of movies unless you okay. guys are just dying to hear me talk about Eurovision. No, 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 no. <laughs> Kevin? Okay, so I'll just go through uh, the Scorsese's that I've watched recently uh, real quick. Rewatched um, Mean Streets. Mean Streets is an interesting story because I remember like, like seeing like Taxi Driver and thinking it was, you know the greatest the greatest thing on earth and like then trying to find all the Scorsese movies that I could find and for some reason Mean Streets was just like you know just unattainable for a long long time mm-hmm. and then I finally saw it and I was like yeah this is good I, I like this and um, I, f- I still feel about feel the same way about it now it's a three for me um See, I'm okay Alice. with that. It's mid to lower tier for me yeah. too. I know a lot of people hold it in really high regard. I'm not one of them. I don't know. Like, um, it's it, feel, not, it feels it's, like amateurish compared to some of his other stuff. Yeah, and it's very you know like with all the '60s music and stuff. Like, eh, yeah, yeah. I mean, whatever. Um, Alice doesn't live here anymore. Three and a half. 
I don't like the one thing that like I I enjoyed I enjoyed the movie I enjoyed the banter between um, Ellen Burstyn Burstyn and and her kid, but like a lot a lot of times it was like well yeah like you let him talk like that to you of course he's gonna rub you the wrong way like any I'm I'm not here to talk about <laughs> judging uh, uh, judging her parenting skills <laughs> yeah <laughs> which I which I don't want to do. Um, but also like Chris Christopherson, like just hauls off and smacks the kid at one point, And it's like, I don't know if I'd go back with a guy like that. Yeah. Anyway, um, rewatch taxi driver. I don't know. Like I've seen taxi driver, like a, you know, a billion times. So like I, I gave it a four because like now, like it just doesn't have like the surprises or like the just oomph for me that it used to um king of comedy i know i've start i know i had started it like once or twice but this was my first time watching it all the way through honestly i could have done a lot more with um the bickering between de niro and uh sandra bernhardt i thought like them as like the competing fangirl fanboy was really great and like I could have used more of that and, like, have them more as, like, a duo through the movie instead of, you know, like, them kind of going on their separate tangents. Let's see. Uh, Boxcar Bertha. Eh, it's all right. Now, the one the one that I, I, had, I had no expectations, I hadn't read anything about it at all, and I didn't know what to expect because it's mid-'80s Scorsese – after hours this thing fucking kills it that's good griffin dunn <laughs> griffin dunn man he's you love fucking griffin great dunn. he's yeah he's great <laughs> no he's good yeah yeah and like john hurd and didn't he Terry co-write Garr. it also i don't know i think he was like a producer on it let me see i, I remember watching a, an interview on the disc uh about how they got it made how they got scorsese involved and yeah. i was really excited about it okay sure. he was a producer on it uh but he didn't he didn't write it oh, okay yeah, it's it's. I remember liking it a lot. It's been yeah, a while. It's, it's really, really, really good. Like everybody in this movie is really good, and like you know, you know, you talk about like people going into like hell odysseys and stuff like that. Like this one just gets crazier and crazier and crazier, and like you don't know where it's gonna go, and like you just you just feel for Griffin Dunn so much, and like the craziness that's following him all over all over town, and like. Just when you think he's out of it, he's back. He's right back into it, and it's now like even worse. Um, but yeah, it's been a long time. I yeah. need to rewatch it. Yeah, I think that the only thing that kept it from being a five for me was its length. It's like and, and hour thirty seven. Yeah, but that's the thing. <laughs> that's the thing, though. Like, it doesn't feel like an hour thirty seven. It feels like it's longer. So. Hmm. That was why it wasn't a five, but like after hours fucking hell, rules. Hell is not supposed to feel short. Ah, well said. That's good. That's good. Solid, man. All right. All right. Well, I uh, I'll just talk briefly about. Um, I watched uh, Nightbreed and Hellraiser. The other two. <laughs> Um, this is this is a lot of Clive Barker happening. Yeah, I know. The only <laughs> Two th- movies. there's only three Clive Barker movies. So what yeah. are you gonna do? You know. But, Either of y'all uh, seen Gods I mean, and Monsters? All three. No. Oh, okay. 
I don't think so. Wait, what is that? Gods and Monsters. It's a mo- like biopic about James sure. Whale. Oh, I think yeah, I, the, I the have Ian seen McKellen that. Movie? Yeah, I've yeah, seen yeah. that. I think I've seen that. Okay. Yeah, like won an Oscar. It, did he do uh, that? He, he was like <laughs> producer of it. Oh, okay. Yeah, he hasn't. He hasn't. Uh, that's um. Yeah. It's like Bill Condon or something. Right. That right. sounds right. Some hack. Some Oscar bait hack. Some jo- some enhancement talent. Yeah. Um. So I watched Nightbreed first because I'd never uh, I never seen either one of these, but um, I'd heard good things about Nightbreed from other podcasts, and uh, it was fine. Have you seen this, Kevin? No, I meant to, but like it took me. It's on o- Prime. I I know, but it took me over the course of two nights just to watch The Hustler, and that's oh, only well. like a two hour movie. Yeah. So, yeah, this week has been crazy for me because it's the last week of the summer session, so I had to get a bunch of shit done. That's okay. Uh, Nightbreed is fine. It's got um, some guy I've never seen in the, in the starring role, and he's not very good, mm. and his girlfriend's not very good, and David Cronenberg's in it as the villain, and he's not very good. Uh, all the acting is pretty <laughs> piss poor. But the I but I, I applaud the tenacity and audacity of the project. Like, it's very ambitious mm. like there's a lot of makeup and special effects and shit and i don't know i don't it was a relatively small budget as i understand it and uh it failed miserably of course you know because <laughs> it's right. like it's like the the studio didn't know what to do with it and so on and so forth but uh yeah i mean i thought it was fine uh entertaining enough just a really weird premise it's like this guy's having these weird dreams about a place full of monsters it's like random weird weirdo monster things and it's like a cemetery and mm-hmm. then uh it's called Midian <laughs> and uh his psychiatrist Brent, uh uh David Cronenberg uh has con- convinces him that he's been committing murders like oh. that he's a crazy man and he's been committing these murders but in reality Cronenberg is committing the murders ah. and uh he's just trying to pin it on him you know and right. so he ends up like dying and going to Midian and meeting the monsters and becoming one of them. And that's a little goofy, but it's like a, it reminded me a lot of like a Tim Burton movie. It has a very, very strong Danny Elfman score, uh, Ah. right in the like heart of where he was making his best scores, 1990. So like, you know, right in the, the meaty part of the curve with Burton and everything. Mm. And, uh, it's a pretty solid score. And, uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's fine. It's worth a watch. I don't know that I'd go back to it that many times, but I mean, it's it's fine. Yeah, it's a lot more than I can say for Hellraiser, Kevin. Uh, <laughs> Hellraiser <laughs> is uh, <laughs> Hellraiser is a train wreck and a horrible, horrible film. Um, it's uh, about this uh, goofy guy named Frank. Who, I mean, I'll be honest. Who do you think this movie is about? Who's the who's the protagonist in this film? Well, I well, if we're if we're going like hard on the definition of protagonist, yeah. then it's definitely the daughter. Okay, the daughter is like in this film for like twenty minutes tops, right? <laughs> like, because uh, I was just saying the thing that you're I, not wrong when you when you read a synopsis of the movie, it's yeah. like, it's a, it says a girl moves into her ancestral home and is tormented by the zombie of her uncle or something like that. And I'm like, well, she, she never moves into the house. She's not hardly tormented by Frank until the very end of the movie. Yeah. 
it's I, I would say for the most part it, the movie is about her stepmother she's yeah, the star very, of the movie yeah very <laughs> yeah very much uh wicked stepmother yeah. stuff going on and i like i like the idea of her having to bring these like seduce these men and bring them home and mm. hammer them to death to get frank back to uh you know his fleshy self <laughs> but uh yeah for the most part what just, a woman will do for a good lay yeah it's just not working for me <laughs> uh it's just kind of and the, and the whole like i read a review on imdb and it was like this mm. is one of the most disturbing films of all time <laughs> and i'm just like what is this what is this guy smoking man uh, like the cinnabites couldn't be less disturbing if they try i mean they're just like goofy looking like i pinhead i can imagine being scary if you had never seen him before you know what i mean like the day it came out or something like you've never seen that shit before like he's got a weird look to him and it and i imagine that could be like frightening to some like children or something but for the most part i mean they're just kind of like i don't know they feel like over designed and kind of silly and Mm. uh but I mean, the makeup all looks good. The makeup is on Frank when he's like skinless. That the makeup mm. looks really good, actually. I mean, it's like very impressive. Yeah, last time I watched it, like I got the um, the steel case uh, Blu-ray of it uh, a couple of years ago, and like the the thing that like especially like there's one part where like you see like part of a face. Oh, and at the beginning, an yeah. It, and yeah. I was like. That looks fucking great. Yeah, that was that was that that was solid. Like when that happened, I was like, mm. "This that's the, like the very beginning," and I was like, "This is yeah, yeah strong." You know, I'm into this, but uh, it never gets to that. Like the violence in it, I guess, kind of never reaches that that again for me. It just kind of like is generic after that. I mean, here's the thing: I, I can totally see where you're coming from on everything, but for me, I just still enjoy hey, it's it. It's yeah. you know different strokes for different folks. You yeah. Know? yeah. And like Jr. I, likes Palm Springs for God's sake. I mean, what are we gonna, you know, who who accounts for taste here? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding with you. Go. Ahead. Sorry. Uh, anyways, yeah. So I uh, mm. it didn't work for me. Mm. Uh, one out of five, which leads. Sorry, which uh, which leads us to uh, Clive Barker's final film, which mm. we're gonna. It's gonna be our deep dive this week. It's Lord yes. of Illusions. It's Kevin's pick. It stars Scott Bakula, Mr. Kruger from Seinfeld. Yeah. Um, Svamka Janssen, yeah. or however the fuck you say her name. Jean Grey from the original X-Men films. Yes. And, uh, of course, Kevin J. O'Connor, who, yeah. even though, I'll just say this right out front, even though I'm not thrilled with his performance in this, he is so much fun to have in a movie. Just yes. watching him in a movie is great. Yes. Like, yes. he enhances the whole thing for me, <laughs> you know? Yes. Anytime he's on screen, it's like, this is great. Kevin J. O'Connor's on screen. <laughs> I thoroughly agree. Yeah, he's phenomenal. But yeah. uh, what would you guys, well, Kevin, uh, <laughs> why? Why this film? Why now? I mean, I was just looking through movies on Letterboxd that you guys hadn't rated, and I was like, you know, I, I haven't seen this in a while. I, you know, I want to want to rewatch it. Like, I had intended to like read the short story that it's based on because I have all of uh, Clive Barker's books of blood. Because mm-hmm. um, like I rewatched, uh, I read The Forbidden before I watched Candyman, but I just didn't have time to watch The Last Illusion, which is which Lord of Illusion right, is right. based on. Um, yeah, so, yeah, so I just thought, yeah, yes, it's time good for, good for a rewatch. And, you know, like we don't do too many horror on the, uh, on the podcast, like very few. Yeah. Like the, like possession Possession, and 
I guess you I could make know. arguments for Persona, but not. I'm, no, I'm that's not. not, I'm not that's that not camp. a horror film. No. We only we only do movies in serious genres. Exactly. <laughs> We're very serious people. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 Coherence is a. It's almost like a sort of a horror movie a little bit. I guess. Uh, images. Images is a little bit of a horror yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Psychological horror. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, well, what? Uh, I mean, you've seen this before. Yeah. So having watched uh, – so when I rewatched Hellraiser, I liked it a lot more the f- than the first time I had watched it. And I thought, like, they did a great job on the Blu-ray of it. Now, when it comes to The Last Illusion, though – Right off, when we're when we're getting the uh, montage of all the stuff around the um, the house in the desert, mm. I was like, "Oh, like for me, like I don't know. I could be off on this, but I thought like Hellraiser was like, okay, Clive Barker's never made a movie before, so this will, so he doesn't know, you know, like." What he's doing? Yeah, he doesn't know what he's doing, so it's like, so you know, it has it has that that uniqueness about someone who oh, I who's see, never okay, yeah, yeah, before. happy accidents. You're saying exactly, nice exactly thing. that kind of thing. Oh, Layer and, of the White Worm is a horror film that we watched. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. And it was a horrible film. <laughs> yeah, a horrible horror film. <laughs> sorry, uh, I'm just I'm relooking at all our movies yeah, to see yeah, what yeah. what is horror. I, I did that too the other day. <laughs> um, Annihilation. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. So watching la- watching Lord of Illusions, I was like, okay, now he's trying to be a filmmaker as opposed to like someone who was like frustrated with how their movies, had, how their stories had come across on screen, so they wanted to get into the director's chair. Now it's like it, it made it was a, a lot of the same feelings that I was having when I watched the second season of True Detective. It's like. Okay, like Nick Pizzolatto clearly knows South Louisiana, and that comes across in the writing of the first season. But it's obvious that, like, in the second season, it takes place in Los Angeles, and he's just throwing everything that someone could find out about Los Angeles in, like, a week. And It's a fictional um, mm. town outside of Los Angeles, but yeah. Well. <laughs> <laughs> it's shot in Los Angeles. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sure. It, it you know it very much feels like an L.A. kind of thing. Yeah, it's a piece of shit. We get it. Go yeah. <laughs> so anyway, that's that's how I felt watching this one. Cause so you're, this is a negative review of Lord of Illusions. I for you. yes, for me it was pretty negative because wow. I don't know, like uh, Scott Bakula, I was just like, eh, I don't, I don't. Eh, Roger Ebert praised his performance. Pretty sure Roger Ebert and I have disagreed on several <laughs> things, but that, that's beside the point. Uh, yeah, I, I just I just didn't get him. Uh, Famke Jansen wasn't really very good either. I mean, I think this was like one of her first movies, if not her first movie. So I'm not going to, you know, like, yeah. yeah, I'm not totally ready to bury her on that. I really like Kevin J. O'Connor. But again, it's like what he's working with. Just I don't know. It's like just not just doesn't just didn't work for me. Doesn't do it for you. Yeah. And like, um, yeah, sorry. JR is just chomping on the at the bit to, to get I mean, no, go ahead, go ahead. Finish. I was just like, you know, to to those performances, I I, I think they largely don't work because there's there's this whole like uh, detective noirish thing going on with the movie that uh, doesn't make sense with the movie. Mm. Like Scott Bakula's doing 
doing like gung ho detective, uh, you know, who's also like uh, beat, you know, beat downtrodden, whatever. Mm. There's no like reason for this noir trope. Uh, Famke Johnson, she, how is her name? Whatever. Janssen. Jan- yeah, sorry. Janssen. Famke she's, Janssen. She's like, she's clearly introduced as like a beautiful femme fatale. Like when we see her get out of the pool with the cleavage and then just like every, every interaction she has in like the first 20 minutes of her, of her screen time just screams femme fatale. We don't trust her. Except that we also know that she's the person who was kidnapped by the cult. Like yeah. she's she is the the teenage uh, kidnapper. Do we know that? Beginning. We know that like an hour and a half into the movie, we don't find that out for a while. Yeah. Don't they don't they call him Boat Dorothea? Oh well, I didn't put it together anyways until she actually says okay. that she's the one who yeah. shot him. I don't know if they say the girl's name when like when all oh. that's when all that stuff is going on, like the actual like beginning. I'm not sure either. All right, sorry. Then I yeah. jumped to go on that. It's but, all good. Uh, well, I, I mean, don't know. And it's just, I like, there's no, he doesn't, Barker doesn't do anything with this noir stuff at all. He just, he just has it there. And so it, it just, it feels like the actors are acting like they're in a noir, and but mm. they're not. So it just doesn't make any fucking sense to me. Yeah. That, that specific part of it. Mm. Otherwise, it's a very realistic plot that I, you know. <laughs> plot makes much sense, <laughs> but but also uh, Kevin J O'Connor. It feels like, um, you know, we when we meet him and he is the successful illusionist Vegas magician or whatever. He's got like so much control and confidence, even though he's like, I'm not going to see Quaid. I'm not getting in this again. Mm. But once he, uh, you know, once he comes back later, he's like, uh, he's like totally changed. He's this, uh, he's this pussy man. Well, he does try to kill Scott Bakula with a car. Yeah. I mean, kind of. <laughs> yeah. Hardly. He has that little bit of a uh, hero moment towards the end. It's his redemption. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I just, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I definitely agree with what JR is saying. That, like, that's, that's why I was, you know, comparing it to True Detective. It's like, okay, yeah, I'm just going to, you know, now that I've made a movie, I've got a little, well, two movies at this point, I've got a little more confidence, so I'm going to start throwing in a lot of stuff that I think about, you know, L.A. Oh, that's fair. Um, Well, I I like the movie. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) I I think it, uh, I I don't disagree with what J.R. is saying about the noir elements, but I feel like... um, it works in an eight millimeter kind of way. Like ah. it's a little over the top and goofy, but it's like fun. I don't know. I've had a lot of fun watching the movie. Like okay. a lot of fun. Yeah. I really love the opening. Like I thought it was really strong to just start kind of in the middle of this. Like they're going to raid this cult compound and save this girl and kill the leader and everything. And mm. all the gunshots and shit were fun. And I like the, uh, the confrontation between O'Connor and Mr. Kruger and uh, <laughs> I don't know his actual name, Dix uh, or Nix. Sorry, Nicks. not Dix. D- Nix. <laughs> and uh, I watched the um, director's cut, which apparently mm. has some stuff added to that scene that you guys might not have seen. But uh, like he, when he puts the mask on, he bites his fingers and uses his blood on the screws. Oh yeah, to I, make the screws go in. We, yeah, I read about I, we that. Did see that. That isn't yours. I thought we. We didn't see him bite his fingers. I, I, 
he definitely puts oh. blood on the screws, but I don't remember him like you know. Oh, okay. I, I think what I definitely they remember what, the with their prop, you know, like in the version that we that we saw, it's probably you know like a quick like nip of oh, the yeah. finger. But in, he really chomps down on his thumb in the. Okay, yeah. Then anyways, uh, yeah, I liked all that. I liked the idea that they have to put this. It's like man on the iron mask kind of thing, you know. They put this mm. mask on him to like keep him contained, and yeah. I thought that was kind of cool. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I uh, I I liked that, and I I you know the acting is like yeah, it's not good. Like it, but it's like I don't know if this movie requires it to be good. This movie is like a mid tier John Carpenter film. And I'd mm. say it's like better than anything Carpenter was doing in the nineties up until vampires. And, uh, you know, it's similar to a lot of those, you know, it's similar to something like in the mouth of madness, I would say, mm. but it's just way more interesting to me. Anyways, more yeah. engaging. I would have preferred, you know, like, a, I don't know, George Clooney in the lead or something, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. And this is around the time when he would have done something like this, you know, dusk till dawn so yeah, forth yeah. but um you know you take what you can get your clive barker you know you're not tarantino what are you gonna do you, yeah, didn't, win, you yeah. didn't win an oscar yeah. uh but yeah i mean i'd say i i actually wrote that barker is like a the poor man's carpenter or the very very poor man's tim burton he's like a <laughs> he's like a super pale copy of tim burton like a pale-ish copy of carpenter mm. but they're you know they're all working in, in similar realms except obviously tim burton is way more like you know visual and mm. um has more of a maybe an, a vision of what he's doing oh also there's like another seinfeld connection did you notice it maybe during the uh after the fellow is uh thrown out of the window but bacula throws that guy out of the window in that early scene yeah the yeah. skinhead guy yeah and uh <laughs> They cut to the outside, and there's a police photographer taking a picture of the body. The police photographer is oh, Mickey, yeah, Mickey yeah. the midget from. Uh, <laughs> you know, I was looking for him, yeah. but I, I, I mean, I was eating a sandwich, so I guess I missed him. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I was the whole rest of the movie. I was looking for other Seinfeld connections. I was like, this would be great if there's like a million Seinfeld connections. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I like the villain guy. Um, like, not Nick's, but the. Butterfield, yeah, the queer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like queer and androgynous and just weird. And I was like, this is an interesting mm. choice for this character. And I really, uh, he looked he was, really bizarre in the opening scene too. But yeah, yeah, yeah. He was, and it was, he was fascinating. It was, it it was weird when uh, when Nick comes back and says that you know his none of his followers are worthy and says they all just waited. I was like, but Butterfield didn't wait. That's, Butterfield's that's been hunting. True. But it, it was interesting that Butterfield was uh, was so different than the rest of that cult. Yeah, um, yeah. Just clearly not as like blind faith as the others. He's proactive though, too. You know. That's, yeah, yeah, he was the one who was actually trying to do stuff. Yeah, I liked him. I, I liked. I, I. I. What I didn't like about the film is that he, like a character like him, who he's interesting and he vanishes for like forty minutes in the middle of the picture. Mm. And Kevin J. O'Connor vanishes yeah. for 45 minutes in the middle of the picture. And it's like, these are the interesting characters who I want to see. Yeah. And now yeah. they're not in the movie. And I'm following Scott Bakula and Famke Johnson. And I, I don't care as much about these people. Yeah. So that was kind of a bummer. Like when he, like when, um, 
during the magic show when the swords are falling in Kevin J. O'Connor's body, I was like, mm. oh, this has got to be like, everybody's freaking out, but he's in control. Like, this is a joke, right? Yeah. And then it's, when it's like he's dead, I was like, this is ridiculous. Why is he dead? <laughs> like, he's he was just levitating without wires. How is he dead right now? <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. He can't control the fucking swords. Right. But, you know, obviously he could. But, yeah. um, I thought the, uh, I thought the sword scene was really good. Oh, yeah, I, 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 just I love like, that shit. I love the yeah. whole magic show. It was great. Yeah. Very was... real. Like very much like what a real goofy over the top magic show would be with all the yeah, flames yeah. and shit. Yeah. And all the dancing and the guy from Borat is in the is in that scene at the at the beginning when they oh, yeah, people get yeah, out of limo yeah. <laughs> his partner. Yeah. <laughs> um Oh and the I I really enjoyed the uh when he's driving the the Famke Jansen's servant guy. Mm. He's he's driving Scott Bakula to the Magic Castle, I think, or something. I don't know. They're mm-hmm. driving somewhere, and um, he does that magic trick with the flower. But you see the flower go into his sleeve on the shot because, ah. like, the shot is at an angle that Scott Bakula can't see. Mm. Do you see the thing? It's I don't know. It's pretty fun though. I was like, I, I thought that was cool to see it, and I like that scene how he's illustrating yeah. the difference between magic and illusion. Yeah, the Magic Castle was really weird. That's yeah. a real place, uh, you know. Yeah, it's that's a real uh, place. Um, it was in that right. show it Love on that, Netflix. That right, in a Vincent Schiavelli doing a much better accent than I saw him do in Tomorrow Never Dies. I will say that. But but that was also a funny moment. Like, uh, nice accent you got there. It was uh, Brooklyn. Fuck you. Yeah, that was, I like that too. Yeah. I like that actor. I thought, yeah. I guess it's just... Uh, Scott Bakula is apparently a very fucking good detective as he's able to infiltrate <laughs> I know, this I re- yeah. Yeah. Uh, secret society basically very instantly. He just uh, makes he buddies just, with one of the magicians. dinner with the bigwigs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I wrote the note about that too. I was like, that's a little goofy. Like he's just all of a sudden he's in the back room talking about, yeah. <laughs> you know, secrets of shit and everything. Yeah. I don't know. Like I'm guessing, you know, like – like apparently he has this reputation from the exorcism that he participated in, so I guess even the magicians know him from that. So I um I like the idea of like a real magician performing magic for money. Mm. Like it's been done in some films since then uh, to a much lesser, de- like a less successful degree, in my opinion. Like there's a movie called Red Lights. I don't know if you guys have seen this with De Niro Mm-mm. and Killian Murphy, and uh from the director of buried <laughs> and uh it's about a a guy who actually is like you know actually has magical powers but he's doing magic as like an illusionist mm. and then also you know the now you see me films which are retarded but uh <laughs> anyways uh i had a there's a little nitpick whenever he goes down below the stage and he has a confrontation with Butterfield and the other guy and he loses his gun and they're shooting at him. Mm. Like there's like a bunch of cops up on the stage. Like yeah. why, aren't, why nobody yeah. comes down? Yeah. <laughs> I don't understand what's going on there. Yeah. I was thinking the same thing. I also had a question. I missed something when he goes to that. He, he breaks into that apartment and he steals that address book. Whose apartment is he in? That was uh Quaid's. Oh, okay. That's one of the guys who was killed. Yeah, that's uh, the guy with the shotgun. Right, yeah. but the, the black guy who had the well, knives in his in yeah, him? yeah. Okay, yes. yeah, that's, that's I Quaid. see. Because yeah. I was really confused. I must have missed it when they said that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Where the fuck is this guy at?" Yeah, because like you know, he looks not drastically different, but you know, 
It's hard to recognize somebody when they've got you know a big mustache and a lot of knives in their. Well, chest. I, it's not that. I I mean I I understood that that guy was one of the uh, anti cultists. Mm. I didn't understand when he went back to the apartment later. Like he breaks oh, right, in and right. he steals that address. I was like, I don't know what whose apartment this is. Mm. Um, I love the Who's montage the, uh, of the cultists preparing for Nix's return when they all kill their families. <laughs> like that shit's cool. I thought that was a good idea. Like when it cuts to Philadelphia. And then it cuts to Miami. No, that's that, is that uh, in the director's cut. That's the director. Oh my cut. god, that shit rules. That's like, oh man, I feel like we I meet them. Yeah, they're like they're back. They're at the place, and they're all cutting their hair. Oh no, then, like, this happens way before that. Like ten minutes before that, it like cuts to Philadelphia, and it shows one of them and uh, uh, their whole family. Oh, one of them. Oh, it's the guy, uh, like the main kind of bootlicker guy yeah he's yeah. a postal a postal worker and he oh. opens his closet because he's packing and you see inside the closet is like his wife and she's dead and then it cuts to miami and there's a woman and her uh husband is dead and his face is in a bowl of cheerios with like blood everywhere and then her kid is dead on the set same table and then she leaves and she steps over the the dead body of her other child it's like really hardcore yikes yeah man i can't believe that's not this uh I, I know i did I only did a little bit of reading, but it sounded like uh, the cuts that were made were made to like secure an R rating. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, dead children. Like a, yeah, dead know. children will get, get you an NC-17, <laughs> yeah. I'm sure. But I that was one of my favorite moments of the whole film, so I'm really bummed out you guys didn't see that. Huh. What was the... Ha- you downloaded the... Uh... Yeah, I downloaded okay. it. May have to find that. John, you might have an answer to this. This might have been in the director's cut. Um you know, in the opening scene, there are four anti-cultists. Uh-huh. And we see Quaid and uh, the woman who ends up in the, uh, like, mental institution. We see them die. There's also the blonde woman. Uh, did you see, like, what happens to her? Because we don't get an end for her. I think, she, yeah, they just say she disappeared. Yeah, I don't oh, wait. know. I don't think okay. so. Oh, she might they- already, she might have been dead. Pim, okay. I think is her name. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Just, like, I I couldn't remember her name, and I couldn't. I'll yeah, be honest, I though. I I mean, this might be my fault. Might be the film's fault. I was not a hundred percent sure who the woman in the hospital even was until just now when you said that. <laughs> oh, that was it. Was Desiderio? Yeah. Right. I knew. I knew. I knew her name. I just. I was like. I was like. I don't know who. The, I know he found her name in the um in the address book, and then he goes to visit her. I'm like, I don't know who this woman is. <laughs> like, that's so. This is insane because, you know, Kevin G. O'Connor. Uh, yeah. The guy who plays Quaid and Desiderio, they're like the only there are and Nick's they're like the only three actors that stay the same in the past and present yeah like mm. Famke Jansen or there's a young Dorothea there's like the guy who plays Butterfield in the beginning is not the same even though that's I thought I thought Butterfield in the beginning was an adult but it's it's credited as young oh I didn't know that young uh, Butterfield that is weird different mm. actor well, I just didn't. Uh, I, I guess I wasn't paying attention to anybody's faces in the beginning, except O'Connor, and I know I did notice the black guy with the shotgun because he had a shotgun. Yeah, didn't really pay attention to the two women, I guess, um, or the girl. And I thought the girl in the corner was a grown woman until they said it was a little girl. <laughs> like yeah. later on, I was like, oh, that was a little girl. Okay, um, went too far. Kidnapped uh, a kid. Oh right, they did say that. Yeah, I uh, I had a there's some uh, little little bit of under the Silver Lake vibes coming from parts of this movie 
Do you get that at all? Like just like a this kind of modern noir in in LA. I know the noir elements are problematic for you. But this the idea of like the ma- like the magic castle for instance being mm. part of it and and all of the like when they when they when they sneak into the magic castle him and Johnny who oh, yeah yeah <laughs> they uh, and they have the hologram thing that comes out and it's like a monster and it's like yeah. goofy and then he shoots I don't know all that stuff I don't know just that I, was the thing that I had a lot of fun with it and it reminded me of for some reason under the yeah. silver like a little bit that was the thing that bothered me too honestly it's like I get you know like um. You know, private detective. He may not have had like a lot of uh, training with his firearm, but like it takes him three shots. Oh, I love that. Are you kidding? I love that shit. He's not a marksman. He's never. He probably never fired his gun before. I I get it, but like, I I love that. (laughs) I don't know. Like, it's like in Dead Man, and when Johnny Depp's in the bed, he takes him three shots to hit the guy, and then he hits him in the neck. Yeah, I, I yeah, I I agree with that, but it was like I don't know. I feel like it could have been done better. Like, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Um, it, it, sorry, not to uh, not to make this just a list of the things that we failed to pay attention to. But <laughs> did anyone like know what the like the beginning when he gets to LA? He's tailing that like like Italian guy with yeah. the awful hair as he's like with the strippers in a hotel room right. that follows yeah. him to Quaid's apartment. Sure. And that guy just like runs away. Yeah. What the fuck was that guy for? Just to get him to that, that apartment. Like, I don't understand him. His yeah. Presence like, at all. like he was investigating him for insurance fraud. Uh, but yeah, like basically, basically he's a uh, red herring. I agree with you too. I, yeah, he's a red herring. I thought, I really thought it would have been, I, when I was watching the film, I was like, more more often like chances are this guy is not going to be part of any of this like he's not going to come back but i was like it would be really smart of clive barker to rewrite to write this guy into the story somehow to make it not just like a coincidence that he stumbles upon this mystery yeah and i guess that i'm just i'm like so stuck in like you know detective noir mode at this point that i'm like all right so the guy who gave them gave him this job to follow this guy is he connected to the cult shit? Right, like, exactly. I'm trying to make connections that it would almost seem like it's like a con- like making right. It should be like more conspiratorial or something. But right, um, what'd you guys think of the tantric fuck scene where they have oh, hot, hot sex in the bed? We don't get that. In the oh, way. you didn't see that either. No. Oh my no, it's god! The black, they're in bed. Okay, Fuck. okay. Can we just cut this right now, and then we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll, Jr. and I will go away, and we'll watch the director's cut, and then we'll come back. Is there? We'll is there? Cut, did you guys see this? this do you guys see the scene when the like specter appears in the mansion and chases him with fire? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. and he shoots at the yeah, fire. So, yeah. <laughs> like, hey, no to that. Yeah. That's pretty mental. Like, what's he shooting at? Yeah, fires at the fire. Yeah, he fires at the fire. <laughs> what a dummy. <laughs> I know. Um I also really hated when uh the he gets uh the the villain gets like tortures the guy into telling him where the body is and then they go and to, mm. they dig it up. And it's like how like <laughs> he digs the the to the arm of the guy and then the the villain uh Butterfield jumps in. He's literally got his back to him for like 10 minutes he's examining the arm he's kissing the hand this guy has a shovel in his hand why doesn't he just beat the guy to death right then and there yeah 
Like, what is happening? So tired from. I know, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, right. Come on. This guy's a young man. Yeah. Also, like, we, you know, we bury him so deep, no one will ever find him. It's like. Not deep enough. Five, six feet. (laughs) Like a a normal burial. (laughs) Exactly. Definitely a hole we could all climb out of. I know. I thought they were going to throw him down a mine shaft for sure. Yeah. Or, or like, the uh, the hell pit that he ends up going into. If they could have opened a hell pit, I'm sure they would have. Now, that leads me to the next scene when they resurrect him mm. on the table definite mummy vibes and oh, uh, sure. the mummy connection of kevin j o'connor kevin, yeah yeah so it's pretty cool <laughs> <laughs> you'll never believe o'connell <laughs> a, little, a little clairvoyant there i love it the um yeah oh mm. i i could have i could have spent more time with the cult it sounds like uh, you got to in the director's cut um, i mean just that one montage it's, it's, mm. Nicks. We're going to put every consonant in, in front of the <laughs> Dicks, Hicks, Nicks, <laughs> Tricks. Yeah. 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 I mean, L- Licks was definitely interesting. I just uh, <laughs> could use more of them, I, you know, because like, since we show up in Meteor Res at, you know, the thing where he dies at the beginning, mm. we don't really get to know his vibe. Um, and it's implied that the people coming to kill him were part of the cult before. Sure. Yeah. Um, but it's uh yeah there's and I also you know I I was please don't over explain everything to me uh but give me just a little bit give me a little bit more of a taste of what's going on yeah that's fair yeah, I mean yeah. you know there's I also mean, he, comes, he comes back he's got he's got fucking god powers all right there's, sort there's of fucking god yeah he is god and I I do I. The I well the um in the I don't know does this happen I read that this was only in the director's cut but um at the beginning when he confronts Kevin J O'Connor confronts him in that room he walks up to Kevin J O'Connor he puts his hands inside of his head yeah like actually yeah. shrinks puts his fingers into his yeah. flesh and so like, that like that make, ex- makes him hallucinate that at least that that would sort of explain away Kevin J O'Connor's powers even though he says later on that he taught him how to do those things. But it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, I agree. Like, why does Nix know how to do them? You know? <laughs> yeah. Just yeah. like, I don't understand where he gets the power from. But I th- I thought the resurrection scene was really solid. I like when the camera goes into his chest wound and yeah. all that. Like, mm-hmm. that's pretty good stuff. Yeah. And I really I, like the shot when he pushes him, when he pushes Kevin J. O'Connor against the wall and, like, the camera goes inside of his body and you see oh, the his bones fatalities? breaking and shit. Yeah. Yeah. All that stuff was really cool. <laughs> I thought, yeah, I, I enjoyed that a lot. Yeah, it's like my, eat your heart out, only, Mortal Kombat. My only design issue with this, and, and like, Clyde Barker definitely, he's like a little too like BDSM gross for me at yeah. times. Uh, like, I I don't find the Cenobites uh, disturbing, but I do just think that they like look gross. Sure. Um, and there's you know some stuff at the end of this that I think definitely looks icky in that Clyde Barker way mm. but then it, uh, the the cherry on top that makes me really dislike it is the uh, the forehead butthole uh, yeah, the, creates yeah, yeah puckering asshole and it's like got something coming out of it I was I was waiting yeah. for something to emerge from it but it's just like turtle heading the whole time yeah and then yeah. they like they was, like they cut to they cut like to like behind Nikki Six and <laughs> Nikki like Six. and like and like you think like like you think like that cloud is like coming out of like the butthole. Right. But it's not apparently. Yeah. I don't know what was going on with yeah. all that. No, that I, I definitely thought I was coming I, out of the butthole. I thought yeah, so too. I, th- I thought so too. What makes you like, think it's not then? 
Because you because they cut back and it's oh, they not, cut back and it's yeah. not. It's just coming out of the ceiling. And then, you know, Scott Bakula, not a marksman, but Fabka Johnson, right instant, in there, instant hit with right, the, uh, the right bottle. away. Right She's away. rich though. Shot. She she takes shooting lessons on the weekend. It's nothing yeah, to her. Yeah. She also got him like right through the middle of the chest when she was when she was twelve. So okay, so two yeah. my so two two things. I only have two more notes, but they're I think they're my favorite and least favorite thing about the movie. So mm. note number one. Uh, the blood geyser from uh, Butterfield when he electrocutes himself, and it's like his head is like exploding with blood. Oh, that shit is amazing! You tell me that was in your cut. Oh my god! No. Oh my god! I remember thinking that was a super. I remember thinking that that was so anticlimactic. It's amazing to like really like yeah. Nick's it, it whatever, literally like but he like, like Butterfield was like the. Like yeah, guy. he's got that tool that he made, and he like stabs it into the wall, and then it like yeah, literally it pans over to his face, and his face, his side of his head starts like it gl- starts glowing, and then it engulfs in flames, and the blood just starts pouring out of it. It's amazing. Would, <laughs> would I be banned from the podcast if I said I don't want to rate this right now? Yeah, yeah that's up to you, Cause... man. But but okay, <sighs> so it's a directly followed by my least favorite thing in the whole movie, which mm. is. Uh, when Scott Bakula uh, asked Kevin Deere Connor to levitate him like he did the car, and then he goes oh, and he pushes what's his face Nick's down the uh, hole. Why did he need to levitate to do this? <laughs> like he literally had no uh, reason was, to levitate. Yeah, I I actually so I don't know if this is right, but this is what I decided. I guess just trying to <laughs> reconcile it. I was like, he's too injured to walk. Yeah, maybe. Uh, yeah, I assumed that he could move. Um, it would make sense if it that, was Kevin J. O'Connor because Kevin J. O'Connor has his bones break, break and everything. But like yeah. Scott Bakula, nothing's happened to Scott Bakula. He's been thrown against the wall a couple of times. Well, he, I didn't even he's okay. I didn't even understand how Kevin J. O'Connor was alive at that point because I mean, I they, they show like, his brain scramble at one yeah, point. Like, yeah, like I think like like you see like his heart his heart literally breaks and you see a bone break and then you see yeah his it, brain explode it goes his in skull. yeah exactly. So I'm like I don't how's so this I guess alive? it's just like demon magic that's keeping him alive at that point. Maybe, but I I don't know. It worked for me overall as just an entertaining kind of popcorn nonsense movie, and uh, uh, I I'd certainly it worked for me in like a very like uh, I don't even know how to describe like like a like Prince of Darkness works for me. You know, it's okay, not a great okay. film, but it's so entertaining. I just had a okay. blast watching it. Yeah. So it does seem like you. It does seem like in those extra fifteen minutes, you mm. got more. Of the popcorn, you there's a lot of violence. Got, in you it. definitely saw the better movie. I, I'll say that. That's fair. Well, because it sounds like you got, like you got a couple of satisfying, you know, conclusions that we didn't get. That's you true got, too. Mm, there's a lot of violence you in know, it. You got so. the tantric sex scene that, like, of course, <laughs> that's going to make a, a mid '90s movie better. I don't yeah. know. I don't know about that. I would have actually. I I, I agree <laughs> with excising that because it's pretty. You don't even get. I mean, there's no nudity in it. It's just like they're oh. just like. It's these, you know, glamour shots of them in bed together hiding their nudity and, you know, they're having their arms strategically well, over each other's chests and shit like that. What the hell, Clive? Sorry, you're just describing the way people have sex. I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Uh, yes. So, unless there's something else you guys want to discuss, ratings? Oh, well, you don't have to give a rating if you don't want to. Right now, I'm at a two and a half, hmm. but... I don't know. I want to. I want to find the director's cut. And, I'll and email see. it to you. I still have it. Great. So. I'm at a. Uh, I'm at a two point two five. I find. Uh, I find John's enthusiasm endearing, but <laughs> I can't go higher than that. 
It's okay. That's fine. I this is uh, Barker's best. It's a three and a half, and uh, I think that he gets steadily better throughout the three films. I think this is his best in every way. It's like w- much better directed than the other two films. It uh, looks nicer. It's got really much better violence in it. Um, but I will say this: it has the worst score out of all of them because Christopher mm-hmm. Young did the score for. Um, Hellraiser. Hellraiser and it's it's a solid score and the score for mm. this is not very good at all. No, like it's it's, it's not memorable at yeah. all. Yeah, it seems like no. a lot of stuff is ripped it. off in it. Yeah, I mean that's it's just generic. Yeah, whereas like Nightbreed is like the opposite of that. It's like it's so pure Danny Elfman. It's just great. Mm. Like you just you get Nightbreed gets a, gets by a lot on the score. Right. Um. So yeah, three and a half, man. Mm. Um. So next week. Or next time we record will be oh, my right. pick. Now this is where it gets complicated, fellas, uh, and mm. I hate to do it. I am at a I'm at a crossroads here. Okay, I've got two films, but one of them is one of them is uh neither one of you have seen either one of them. I don't think. Mm. One is of, one of them not a movie? No, they're we no no no. Them? They're both westerns, okay. but one of them is very very hard to attain. Oh. So, I don't like. I'm downloading it now, but I've been downloading it for days. <laughs> if you and it's not I'm done like, yet, so it's like, jeez. If it doesn't it get done, I don't. I don't want to say the this is the movie, and then right. it doesn't get done. So maybe another. I guess I'll just wait on that one. Um, no, I. I can probably get it for you. I don't know, bud. <laughs> this is not a. Uh, it's a movie called. Uh, Jr. is going to use his dark magic. I know, right? Well, you can tell me. You can tell me what you think, okay? Because the library doesn't have this movie. Mm. Now, this movie is on Prime, but the uh-huh. aspect ratio is different than it's supposed to be. It's in one three three to one. It should be in two three five. It's the kind of movie that would make a big difference. Yeah, it's. Cro- I actually started watching it on Prime. I had to turn it off because it's like almost like pan and scan. It was nasty as fuck. To yeah, look at. Uh. I get that. So, um. This movie is it's called uh the the American title is called Renegade, but it was originally called Blueberry and it's a western from 2004. It's directed by uh Jan Kunin or Jan Kunin. Um and it's a stars Vincent Cassell. And uh it's based on a Mobius comic called Blueberry, which is a western comic that he started with. It's the first thing he did. Mm. And uh I've seen it once, but I saw it when I was a kid, like I mean I was like, you know, whatever 19 i guess and uh i don't remember hardly anything about it except that it has a really weird ending but i when i was watching it on prime i watched the first maybe five minutes and i was really surprised how good it looked like the cinematography looked great outside Mm. of the fact that it's you know it's chopped off but so like that's what made me want to get it right now like right now it's saying it's going to take two more hours and i'm at 85 percent. why don't we why don't we do this one and uh, you know, give us your backup in case we can't make it work. Okay, so that sounds good. So my backup, so that, so Blueberry or AKA Renegade would be my my choice. But the backup is Appaloosa, directed by Ed Harris from 2008. Oh, okay. Which is also a western, right? Also starring Viggo Mortensen and uh, Renee Zellweger. I have seen that one, but it's been like a million years. So okay. I think it's so uh either of those I'd be happy with. I haven't seen Appaloosa since the theater and I have the Blu-ray, so and it should be easy enough to come by. 
but this movie for some reason even like the dvd of this movie the cheapest i could find it was like 14 dollars, and i was like i'm not spending 14 dollars on a dvd of something mm. i don't even know if it's good you know right <laughs> so i was really surprised it wasn't at the library anyways mm. so yeah for the first time ever we've got a uh, a backup deep dive prepared so uh maybe jr will be able to find a good copy of of blueberry mm. aka renegade right Maybe not. We'll see. If I if I get it downloaded in time, I'll just mail it to you guys. But, I mean, it's not looking great. <laughs> it's downloaded like 8 kilobytes a second, so it's like really, really low. Wow. Um, so, it's like half a seed. Yeah, it's brutal, man. Uh, anyways, until next time, please visit our website at filmyak.podient.co. Email us at filmyakpodcast at gmail.com. And thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye.